0: This is the Audibles and Analytics Podcast. I'm your host, John Ledger, and let me tell you, it is good, it is really good to be back with y'all making some content again, talking some NFL ball. Some of you knew when I stepped away from the beat reporting on the side and the content directing and all of that, a Pew report, love those, love that whole team, but some of you knew when I did that that... It'll only be a matter of time until this guy's picking up the mic again and back in the saddle giving us some type of uh, sports media content and you know what, you were right. Uh, I wasn't sure of it myself but as the season starts and you get that itch again and you're watching all the games you're like man I gotta talk about I gotta have an outlet to talk about this and you know it's just a hobby I love my full-time job I love the work I'm doing you'll hear me talk more about that on my podcast I'm sure but yeah this is an opportunity for me to continue to do this as a hobby continue to do something I'm really passionate about and that man love y'all y'all have expressed so much interest in when are you coming back when are you creating content when are you doing this and it is you've kept after me you have and I really appreciate it um, because it has given me kind of the encouraged and the excitement to be able to do this and to be able to launch out and do like this little side venture on my own which is going to be a lot of fun so what is the audibles and analytics podcast it's a great question i'm glad you asked this is going to be a football podcast first and foremost and by that i mean x's and o's and player evaluation most of you know that is what i do especially the player evaluation side i'm going to watch every nfl game every single sunday as often as i possibly can given my other work and family responsibilities and I'm going to try to give you my honest opinion about how each player around the league's performing, standout players for each team, units for each team, how they're performing, coaches, players, quarterbacks, offensive linemen, players you've never heard of. I'm trying to give you insight into all of that. Unbiased, just football, rawly as I see it, out on the field and on tape. That's my, that's my whole basis for doing this, basically, is as I think about what i would want a a football podcast an nfl podcast to look like first and foremost i would want somebody who's just honest with me about players like whether they like the player or not going into it, that they're just honest. The player's been good. The player's been bad. The player struggled in this type of matchup. This is a strength of the players. This is a weakness of the players. And then to do the same thing with scheme as often as I can. I'm not as knowledgeable as some of the most brilliant people out there uh, in this field, but I'm, I'm more knowledgeable than most about it and have studied things for a long time. And so giving you insight into, into those things as well, I think is something I can do to be helpful. And the other part of it is the analytics part, right? The audibles, kind of the, what's happening on the field, the adjustments the games inside the games inside the game the players all of that stuff that's the audibles part and then there's this analytics part of it too and the numbers and the statistics especially the advanced statistics that we have and kind of how we should view those what they can teach us what statistics out there i believe are flawed and not particularly informative as it comes to a player's skill set or a team's strength or weakness um and then which ones are. I'm gonna kind of dive into all of that in this podcast. I want this more than anything to be a marriage of X's and O's, player evaluation, talent evaluation, coach evaluation, scheme evaluation, and advanced numbers, statistics, analytics, those kinds of things, because I believe both are of incredible value. And one without the other, you're doing yourself a disservice. And I don't know that there's many podcasts out there that are just saying this straight up, use all of this stuff, think about all of it critically. And I wanna do that. I wanna still be as much a part of the football space and the media space that I can step in and do something like that. And so that's why I'm I'm doing this podcast, honestly. That and the fact that I still have the itch and I love this stuff and I still wanna keep talking about it breaking it down with y'all that's a huge huge passion of mine and I know uh, y'all have seen my tweets you know I'm watching every game basically that's happened so far and then re-watching a lot of them to be honest so uh, when is this podcast going to happen that's another great question you're asking a lot of really good questions Um, my hope is and again this is a hobby for me like but you all are also paying I know you're hopefully you're going to be paying I know these first ones are going to be free is my intention but um, you're paying eventually hopefully you're willing to pay a couple bucks right now uh, if you look Substack of $5 a month is what I'm charging or $50 for the entire year. I tried to price this as fairly as I possibly could. I know some people are going to not want to pay at all and that is totally fine. If you're in a financial situation where you can't do that um, or something like that, I'm happy to work through that with you. Just DM me. My DMs are open. This is not about making money for me. The money is just to cover the cost of producing it, the mics and the sound and the people I'm paying to do graphics and all of those kinds of things. Um, that's really it. I just just want to produce football content. So don't let that hang up if that's an issue. But if you're able to pay the $5 or more the $50 a year, that's awesome. I'm going to try to give you two podcasts a week at least. There'll be times where I can jump in and do three certain times of the year. I'm sure that'll be a possibility. And then there'll also be occasionally written articles when I'm available and my schedule allows me to. I'm thinking especially like positional rankings for the draft and things like that. I'll have all that stuff, a big board and that kind of stuff. I still plan as of now to do that kind of work. And so that stuff's all stuff that I'm planning to offer. I don't want to make huge promises and then you know not be able to deliver on those but i think most of you are listening and paying for this service probably know me and you know i've probably never under delivered on the content side of things um that's uh, for better or for worse i've always been about that uh with a passion and i think most of you know that uh, my work ethic over the years has kind of spoken for itself and i still have a huge passion for this stuff so i still want to do that i still am about bringing you a great product and i want to be able to do that about twice a week hopefully monday probably tuesday i'll be able to have watched all the games i want to be able to have gotten eyes on every game tape that is my priority if I can do that by Tuesday I'll probably record I know it's not as timely as some other guys that are putting out content some other uh, these companies that are putting out content I understand that but this is probably as soon as I can get to it given my other work and life responsibilities and I think it's still going to be you're still going to find its insight that other people aren't giving you in their podcast at least not the podcast that I listen to as great as some of them are um, so hopefully you'll still jump in with me to review that week's games. going to try and review every game and go through every game So no team or fan base feels shorted out. Uh, sorted out on that and then uh, that'll probably be by Tuesday night I would hope that that would be up and then um, Thursday um, hopefully maybe every week I'll be able to go through and kind of talk about the state of the NFC one week and then the AFC the next week so kind of the 16 kind of a 16 and 60 like roll through all 16 teams talk about kind of their place what's happened for them over the last couple weeks uh, where they're at moving forward with injuries and all those kinds of things and what I see their outlook like moving forward what are the big hang-ups with them what are the encouraging signs with the team. Um, we'll kind of be able to roll through those as often as I can get to those two a week, we'll be able to do that. So excited. Hopefully that content format sounds good to you. It's general basic format. I think you'll find as you listen that the specific details um, that I'm going to observe about these teams and players are going to be pretty unique. Um, uh, unique to my process, especially if you're familiar with how I kind of evaluate players, teams, and use numbers and things like that over the years. So that's really the goal, just kind of to give. And it. it's honestly, it's inspired. Shout out to Dunked On Prime, the best NBA podcast, I think, that exists out there. It's inspired by listening to them. I think that they are just all about the sport. There's no drama. There's no extracurricular stuff. There's no hot takes. There's none of that stuff. I think they are just about evaluating the sport, the players in it, the scheme, the coaches, the numbers, all of it. I think they're just a, a unbiased, good um, source for that kind of information, and I want to be able to do that on the football side. Um, so before we dive into the content, last thing I know some people will talk about is a co-host. Um, what's What am I going to do about a co-host? Um, will I have a co-host at some point? I honestly would love to have a co-host. Um, I've thought through some options. Uh, a lot of people I would consider probably aren't as available as I would want them to be or as they possibly you know would be if they were going to be a part of something like this, and so it becomes a little bit hard to narrow down a host, but also I, I want to be able to offer a co-host something, you know, and I'm just starting this and I got to see where it goes financially. I don't want to ask somebody to just donate free time to me. And so we'll see how it goes with subscribers and support and all of those things. And then I will, my full intention is to have a co-host for this podcast eventually. I believe podcasting is best done with at least two people if not more and uh, hope not too many obviously but uh, on a format be able to go back and forth and share opinions and thoughts so that is a goal of mine I want that to happen badly but I'm going to be very careful and selective about going through that process so that I pick the best person for you all um, so that I'm able to offer that person something other than an opportunity um, and so that I'm able to get to so I'm able to bring on the right person the right fit and the person that's going to help audibles and analytics uh, grow as a podcast that's my goal with that. So that's it. That's kind of the the lowdown on it. And by the way, if it isn't available when you hear this, this podcast is eventually going to be available on all your favorite formats, Spotify and Apple and all of those places, all the places you normally listen to podcasts. So if you're listening it through your email or on the Substack application, uh, appreciate that. There is a Substack app you can get as well. Appreciate that a ton, uh, but it will be available on other spots uh, here very soon, if not already, by the time you hear this. So Without further ado, let's jump into it. Let's talk about Week Two in the NFL and all the different things that happened. Uh, let's start with because I know if I'm guessing, I probably got a good number of Bucks fans tuning in for this podcast, and love y'all and appreciate y'all. Uh, let's start with the Bucs. Let's talk about this Bucks twenty to ten win over the Saints and where Tampa Bay is at right now as a franchise and where New Orleans is at as a franchise. This podcast won't be geared toward any specific team. We're going to try and touch on all of them so every fan base uh, that could possibly be paying for. This the service feels like they've gotten some equal airtime and attention. Um, that's a big goal of mine on this one. Um a Buccaneers defense probably one of the biggest stories so far of this season they've really allowed six meaningful points the Saints scored a late touchdown that was pretty meaningless when uh, the Bucs went to some soft coverage late in the game but three meaningful points to the Saints and then three meaningful points uh, to the Cowboys the week before those are not the league's worst offenses but they also probably aren't the league's most dynamic offenses or quarterbacks at, at that point the way Dak was looking the other night anyway so we will see where this thing goes with the Buccaneers defense, but. It's hard not to think that this is one of the most encouraging signs you could have seen, especially considering the injuries on offense, to force five turnovers against the Saints, get three picks, have six sacks. I know there were a couple weird sacks in there. Jameis got outside the pocket and was kind of dropped for like a half yard loss. They weren't really true. Our pass rush is dominating six sack type of game, uh, but it was still encouraging. And Shaq Barrett certainly. Two sacks off to a great start the season. Deserved a couple against the Cowboys and then got the sacks he deserved against the Saints. Just two really good games for him back-to-back. But a couple huge changes have kind of spearheaded this as I watch the Buccaneers on tape. One is Jamel Dean. He's playing absolutely outstanding, We all hoped that this would be the year that he takes that leap um, across from Carlton Davis and gives them two great corners. We had seen enough flashes in the past to know that that was possible. We knew physically and athletically and ball skills, Jamel Dean had all the talent in the world To make this happen, now he's actually doing it. Though he's not only is he making the splash plays with the two picks of Jameis Winston, both of which, by the way, were terrific catches, great ball skills plays on both of those interceptions. A high throw that he kind of had to go backwards and catch in the end zone after running full speed and come down as he's with it, as he's falling to the ground, and then to dig one out on an overthrow that ended up being low by the time it got to Dean. Uh, to dig that out and make really what was the game-clinching play at that point in time, huge plays. I mean, he is a guy that is blossoming in that way, but also he's defending every route, very sticky. They're able to run more man coverage because he's out there and because of his skill set. And because he's blossomed, it's meant less Sean Murphy bunting. And although he's a great guy, uh, he is actively hurting this defense in years past. He has been probably the weakest link um, on this defense in years past. We have belabored over and over, why haven't they benched him? Why do they continue to do this? I know Jamal Dean has been kind of a seesaw at times, but it's better than consistent poor play, which is what Murphy Bunting has offered. So this is a highly encouraging. He has not played a defensive snap this season, and as a result, the Bucks' pass defense has looked as good as it has looked since that Super Bowl uh, against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, Another big difference maker is Mike Edwards, and we've talked about it before. He's not going to be what Jordan Whitehead is in terms of run defense but that's okay because pass defense matters more and Mike Edwards is arguably better in that area. Definitely a more of a splash play contributor in that area. Third pick six for him in his career the most in the NFL since he entered the league, which is hilarious because he has not been a full-time starter at any point during that play. So, uh, he is one of the most opportunistic players in the league uh, because he has just amazing instincts uh, for the ball. He can play deep, he can play those underneath zones. Just a really useful player in a lot of ways. And yes, All of this has made them a little bit worse against the run, losing Sue and some of these players and prioritizing the secondary and playing with more five and six DBs. But guess what? This is the worst start as a run defense that we've seen over the Bulls era and it doesn't matter. Like <laughs> Teams are scoring six meaningful points against them. Because run defense just is not as important as pass defense. And this is what we've preached over. You've heard me talk about this if you ever listen to the Peter Report podcast. It's great that the Bucs are great against the run. It's actually fun to watch on tape. But it's far more important to be dominant against the pass. And right now they are dominant against the pass. The end of that Saints game is the only let-up we've really seen so far. But through two weeks... Dominant against the pass. Another big reason for that is Devin White. Just so improved in coverage. So when you take out a weak link in Sean Murphy Bunting, you improve a weak link in Devin White, you get a much better pass defense. And that's been a huge deal so far for the Bucs. So easily the most impressive part for them has been that pass defense. How does it hold up against better quarterbacks? Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes coming up. We're going to find out a lot about the Bucs pass defense in the weeks coming up. They didn't get much of a test from Jameis. He was really struggled, especially with decision-making. He held the ball way too long. About half of those sacks were just totally on him. Um, The three picks were ugly. Um, 25 of 40 passing. The accuracy was an issue at times. As always, he made a couple good throws. But again, it's just the, sa- it's the same Jameis. You know, as soon as they don't neuter him, as soon as they let him take the gloves off, you get what you've always gotten. He's very similar in a lot of ways to Carson Wentz where you're going to have periods and stretches of play where you were like, wow, this guy is talented. But eventually, he's always going to undo you if you keep the gloves off. And if you neuter him, you're never going to be good enough on offense because you need more from the quarterback position. So he's kind of that perfect quarterback purgatory type of player um and it's just not going to be good enough for the saints this season which is why I, I just think this is a sign of things to come uh for new orleans to be honest um carlton davis versus michael thomas was a big matchup everybody talked about going in thought carlton davis won the matchup but they both had you know michael thomas made some tough catches and then late in the game carlton davis struggled even though he had had like three and a half really good quarters let chris Olave get behind him um other than that thought he played a really good game for the most part but That's going to be something you watch with Carlton Davis uh, is just the consistency aspect of it. If he can get that down, I think he's one of the best corners in the league, but that's one of the question marks for him moving forward. Most surprising part of the game was probably this offensive line of the Buccaneers. I mean, to play the way they've played in pass protection uh, with the injuries that they had against a defensive line in front that has dominated them in the past when they were at full strength, it's stunning to me. I honestly, watching it on tape, I was kind of jaw-dropping how well Brandon Walton played Um, I mean coming in as a third string tackle yeah I don't know if people know how rare that is for a third string tackle to hold his own against guys like Davenport I don't know how much he saw Cam Jordan but you know those are the tough matchups for a guy like that and uh, for him to step in and play the way that he did really impressive Um, it looks like he's going to start against Green Bay moving forward and I think that's probably good for the Bucs until Donovan Smith unless Donovan Smith's back of course um and so yeah I think that's been encouraging to see the way that they've I mean so far the offensive line hasn't been a disaster and Hainsey has been pretty good through a couple games and Gadecki is holding his own he's not great but he's holding his own right now and Shaq Mason and Tristan Wirfs have been dominant I mean Wirfs he faced right off the bat this season two players that I thought got the better of him last year. The only players I've seen get the better of him in his career in DeMarcus Lawrence and and uh, and Cam Jordan. And the, he dominated both matchups. I mean, dominated DeMarcus Lawrence week one. Wasn't even a contest. Um, and then dominated uh, once again uh, when it came to the matchup with Cam Jordan. Just completely took him out of the game. Jordan, we didn't even mention his name, I feel like, during the game. Because uh, now when's the last time that happened against the Bucs? Uh, just because Wirfs was that dominant against him. Um, so... Really impressive job by the Bucs in pass protection. Brady had lots of time to throw. Unfortunately, the receivers struggled much more, um, and they were often in disadvantageous passing situations in terms of a getting open perspective because of when they threw the ball. 16 of their 22 first downs were runs, they averaged 2.5 yards per carry on those plays. Um, this is, I mean, to be in 17 third down situations in a game is not winning football. You do not want to be in 17 third downs. Yes, to be 5 of 17 on third down it's a problem. And a lot of analysts will say, oh, the Bucs offense struggled because they were 5 of 17 on third down. No, they struggled because they sucked on first down. 16 of their 22 first down plays were runs, and those were 2.5 yards per carry. For people who don't know, success rate on a first and 10 is... According to the analytics that are out there, they've wa- wavered between 40 and 50%. Most of the newer models say 50%. But let's split down the middle and say success rate on a first and 10 would be about 4.5 yards. So you want about 45 to 50% of the yard to gain um, on that first down play. So about 4.5 to 5 yards somewhere in there is usually about success rate. So on 16 of these 22 first downs, they're averaging 2.5 yards per carry. There's a 12-yard run by Fournette in there, by the way. Take that out and you've got what you've got on the other 15 first downs. It's a disaster. They're continually starting themselves in very difficult second down situations, becoming extremely predictable in those situations. And right now they're very easy for teams to like line up and gauge what they're going to do next. That makes it hard for Tom Brady. It makes it hard for him to find somebody open other than a check down option. When he drops back to pass, uh, because a lot of the things that they're trying to do to take advantage of bigger chunks down the field because they're behind the sticks are not there. So it ends up meaning, okay, you've got to take the underneath pay on second down because you can't get the big chunk. Now you're in a third down in two, three, one even, which we saw a bunch of times the other day. You don't want to be in that many third downs. You just don't. You're not even a good third down rate is about 50 percent. If you're in third down 17 times a game, that's still a ton of failed drives. A ton of failed drives. Your defense is to play unbelievable. And the Bucs defense did, but it's not going to happen every week. Your defense won't play this way every week. It won't play this way all the time against the Packers or the Chiefs. Not to this level. You can't keep putting them in that situation. The first down approach has to change. Last year, the Bucs were the best NFL team, EPA per play on first down, best team in the NFL. That means the expected points added per first down play, the Bucks were the best team in the NFL on first down. And a big reason why was their pass rate elevated on first down, on first down last year. They were in the top half of the league in pass rate. Now they're at the bottom half of the league. I think they're like the twenty eighth ranked team and and neutral pass rate or something like that, um, going into this season or after two weeks this season. So that's got to change. Uh, to the Bucks coaches credit, or to maybe I would say like and trying to understand them. This is the reality is that they've had a ton of injuries in the wide receiver group and the group guys that came in. Didn't step up. Scotty Miller falling down and not able to come up with a tough catch on a sick Brady throw down the middle later in the game. Rashad Perryman dropped a throw late that could have just sealed it. It wasn't a big deal, but he he dropped one later that could have. Jalen Darden forgetting to go in motion at one point in the game. Um, You know you're just seeing these constant. Kokiif dropped a pass. Leonard Fournette dropped a pass. Rashad White dropped a pass. You know everybody's kind of none of the tight ends have contributed hardly anything to the passing game if at full strength at wide receiver. I'm not concerned about that. Given where they are at wide receiver, it becomes more of a concern. So bringing in Cole Beasley, we'll see what it does. I think he's an emergency option if if you know something happens again and things get worse with Gage and worse with Julio and Godwin, you just don't know where that hamstring's at right now. They're going to take their time with him and Evans uh, looking at possibly suspension here. And so you know, those are situations I think that they're going to have to kind of vet um, one by one and just see where Cole Beasley fits into the mix. I don't think he's a, Fix for anything really. Um, Slot only guy who's not going to threaten teams much down the field. But right now, the guys that can do that that are available options are are pretty slim right now. On the Saints side of things, Pete Werner is a player. He is a player, man. That is a really good defender. Um, His a linebacker for the for the Saints. He and Demario Davis. I'm going to talk about a couple linebacker tandems today, but he's a heck of a player. I love watching him on tape. He's physical. He's aggressive. He moves downhill. He can make plays in coverage. Big hitter. Tons of energy, takes good angles to the ball. Really impressive player to me. I think he's going to be one of the one of their cornerstone pieces as they kind of turn the – their defense is turning over a bit of a leaf, I'd say. Lost some key players, and so I think he's going to be a key part of the next generation of Saints defenders. Um, so impressive stuff from him. The Saints pass rush surprised me. I thought David Onyemata, Cam Jordan – Marcus Davenport those guys have had typically way better games against the Bucks than I thought like they had this this past Sunday um, they were not impressive they did not stand out uh, this past week to me watching them on tape it felt like they were all a little slow and a little sluggish and you wondered where that juice is going to come from um, this season you know just looking at the Saints in general I mean six total pressures throughout the game and Anya Mata, um, had two of them and Cam Jordan had none of them and so um, just surprising stuff. I thought we'd see better from them and it kind of mirrors the issues that they had the week before as well. They had a ton of issues against the Falcons who were even a worse offensive line and pass protection probably. So that's the big question mark for the Saints moving forward. If that pass rush can't deliver when they rush four or five, they're going to have to get away from their mantra of playing numbers and coverage. And that's not what Dennis Allen wants to do, but it's what's going to have to happen because they can't have Brady sit back there or other quarterbacks sit back there with a better receiving core, and pick them apart otherwise they're going to be uh, in significant trouble I think so it's good games competitive games tough grinded out game not much to say about the fight I think everybody's seen my thoughts on that on Twitter hopefully uh, at Ledger NFL Draft but um, yeah uh, definitely uh, a lot of no love lost between these two teams which always makes for a fun competitive match I feel like Let's talk about dolphins ravens dolphins 42 ravens 38 this is this was a crazy game obviously dolphins were down 35 14 in the fourth quarter four fourth quarter touchdowns two to tyree kill one of those to waddle uh hill finished with 11 catches 190 yards and two touchdowns waddle 11 catches 171 yards and two touchdowns the speed has changed miami's offense that those two guys offer um I'm not. I don't have any great epiphany on Tua. I thought he took advantage of what was there, and obviously Baltimore. You won't see many teams blow coverages that often in one quarter, one year, let alone that one quarter. Um, so Tua took advantage, and I give him credit for that. And he made some other good throws and some other terrible throws throughout the day. I think the jury's still out on him, and good step in the right direction. But I just know that with two guys like that and an offensive coordinator like or offensive mind calling plays like my, like head coach Mike McDaniel, like that's. That's a lot, that's a huge advantage for a young quarterback. He is in kind of the most ideal situation for him. So whatever his ceiling is, we're gonna see it in Miami for sure. I have very little doubt of that through two weeks. So I'm excited to see how things develop. But Hill and Waddle, when you're a defense, it's just very difficult to like develop a game plan to take away two guys that are that fast and have tremendous ball skills. It's not like they're just fast. They all—they have full, complete, all-around games. They can run routes. They can go get the ball in the air. Um, they're competitive. They're tough. Physical after the catch. So we're not talking about guys that are one-trick ponies. You know, we're not even talking about just like a Deshaun Jackson-type player when we're talking about these guys. They're much, much more well-rounded players um, than that. So that speed—it's hard for defenses to answer that. It's hard for defenses to respond to that. I mean, right now, I think it's just changed their offense. Teams don't know exactly how to play that. Are we going to stay in too high the whole game? Is that what we have to do? Do we have corners that can run with these guys if we play man coverage? Do we have to play a lot of zone? I mean, one guy like that you can handle, two like that, it becomes a lot harder to figure out what you want to do schematically that's going to consistently take that stuff away. Um, So I think that right now defenses are trying to answer those questions. It helps when one of your safeties knows what they're doing and it doesn't seem like Kyle Hamilton does yet for the Ravens and – I think it's fair to start to question the Kyle Hamilton stuff a little bit for the Ravens. I'm not ready to throw out a word bust for certainly for almost anyone after the rookie year, but I just think we watched him struggle in preseason and in camp and we've seen him struggle badly uh at times. And uh, whether it's playing a Simon sound or even man coverage, you know, it doesn't seem like he's really an option. Okay. Are we going to stick him deep? Is he going to be that guy? Well, he's struggling to diagnose and finish back there, I think too. So where's strengths? What does he give you? I mean, he's a slow safety who's, kind of leggy in terms of his change of direction and stuff like that and yeah he's got great ball skills and range and we've seen glimpses of the diagnose ability for him before as a free safety but I I think we've seen enough to have some questions about like what that's going to look like long term um, for him now he'll get better for sure but what's the ceiling and can he reach that ceiling as a free safety if not where does he step does he does he step down in the box a lot um, can he do that can he play that sort of way sorting through the trash and playing like a Jordan Whitehead type of role. Um, Is that what you drafted him for? First round, top half of the first round? A box safety? I don't think. You know, you want safeties who can take away players in man coverage in the slot, or you want players who can play free safety if you take a safety that high and can be a rangy guy that can change the back end of your defense by playing single high and taking away most of the field, inside the hashes at least. And so that's the question. That's the question with Kyle Hamilton, where he's going to fit long-term. And the early return suggests that there could be some difficulty putting him anywhere other than maybe in the box. So we'll see. How he develops is going to be crucial, obviously. One guy that's developing pretty nicely for the Ravens, I think, is Rashad Bateman. I don't know that the ceiling is as high as some people did. They had him a Wivesier 1-2 conversation, I think. I don't know if the ceiling's that high for him from that, uh, that class that he was a part of. But it's good to see him starting to develop. He had a, absolutely I mean, his— route on his seventy five yard touchdown run, uh or seventy five yard touchdown catch against Xavier Howard was a thing of beauty. Um uh he really I mean he that's the one area where I think you could say he is probably a lead is that route running ability. And then he's got speed too, honestly. You don't see it uh, in terms of the vertical ball that often yet, but he does have speed to run after the catch as well. Um so encouraging stuff for Rashad Bateman, I think. Um and another guy that the Ravens picked up, Marcus Williams, um, two interceptions. I think he did get hurt late in the game. I hope it was just a minor injury. I haven't seen anything on it um, over the last couple of days, but two interceptions, making plays on the ball. You know, He's breaking up passes, talk about ability to play single high and play it well for the Ravens. You know, Williams has been super impressive for Baltimore. And so uh, I always said he was a really underrated player with the Saints. And I think people looked at the tackling woes at times and said, you know, we're critical of him. And they, of course, they remember the the Vikings play and the playoffs and um, to, to beat the Saints obviously when he whiffed on the Stefan Diggs tackle but this guy that's been a good player for a long time I think he looks like one of the best free agent pickups so far of, the, of this past uh, for Baltimore and those kind of ball skills it's hard to replace those a free safety you know when you have a guy that can range and make plays on the ball I mean defense today's NFL it's almost all about creating opportunities and turnovers and a few guys I think have done that better than Marcus Williams uh, especially this season where he's in that defensive player of the year conversation, uh, for, for sure. I know everybody wants to hear me make a take of Atua. Uh, I, I don't have any yet. I still, I have questions. Um, he's late to a lot of decisions, uh, late to a lot of throws, the game winning touchdown to Jalen Waddle, for example, was open right away. And he took, he waited, 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 almost had the pass broken up. Um, as a result of that, um, he made the play Waddle went up and got the ball and, it's good stuff. I mean, it, it can be better. You're obviously, six touchdown day, 429 yards passing. It's hard to argue with that. I get it. People are going to look at the raw box score. And I think that there's certainly things he's doing way better than he ever did before. To me, the biggest takeaway with Tua is that if you remember early on, early on when he was at Miami, there were guys that kind of low-key to the media. There were a lot of like quiet reports coming out. The players in the locker room questioned his toughness, his competitive fire, how much did he want it, All those kind of things. Like when he was challenged, how he responded, body language. I don't see any of that right now. I see competitive fire. I see a dude who's fired up, who's gaining confidence. And I think, honestly, he's probably been given a lot of confidence by his coaching staff. And so a lot of credit to the coaching staff and McDaniel, but also in general, I think, too, as a player that you're starting to see that he's got the stones, that he's got the competitive fire that you want from that position. Hopefully that translates over into leadership and some of those other things that there were questions about early on. But I mean, you hear, listen to Jalen Waddle talk about him. Listen to Tyree Kill talk about him in the media. They praise him up and down. They love him. They believe in him. And even if they don't privately, they're saying all the right things publicly. That was not the case when Tua was in Miami early in his career. There were a lot of questions and a lot of players in that locker room that were critical of him. And so already some culture change there, and I think it's had a positive effect on Tua. And that could manifest. I'm a big believer in that confidence aspect in any position, especially quarterback, though. And so I think that could manifest itself in his play. So definitely a guy I'm rooting for. I uh, had him higher than Justin Herbert coming out, so I'd love to see him prove me a little bit right. Even if it's not going to be that good. Uh, that'd help a lot. But big, big believer in him coming out of college. And so would love to see him turn that corner and make that leap. And uh, we'll just have to see if that's possible for two of moving forward. Jaguars 24, Colts 0. Man. Oh, buddy, the Colts, what do we even, what do we say? What do we even start with this team? I think Mark Schofield said a yes. He DM'd us the other day, our group chat, and he said, the Colts look old and slow, and he ain't lying. This does not look like a good football team right now. And now, I'll say that they obviously didn't have Michael Pittman for this game, and that makes a big difference because that wide receiver core gets pretty weak pretty fast. But Matt Ryan looks washed. Um, which I didn't think he was yet uh, to this degree. Um, and the O-line's a clear weakness. Tackle, you know, even both tackle spots honestly aren't playing great, but a left tackle, I believe it's Prior playing there right now, and he's he got absolutely destroyed. I mean, all, all game, especially Josh Allen, just worked him um, for the Jaguars. And so huge concern there. Ryan's not going to be able to move the platform very much. Um, so you're coming up against the guy. Yeah, I think that has just a lot of question marks. Uh, right now, and Ryan, whether he's gonna—we know his arm strength has never been amazing. So physically, athletically, what you know, what's already never been great is, is eroding a little bit. But I thought he could make up for it with decision making in his mind. And it seems like the grasp of the offense has not been there. And it kind of brings me back to remember when Kyle Shanahan was his offensive coordinator the first year Shanahan was there in Atlanta. Matt Ryan was terrible. That was one of his roughest years. And then the next year they went to the Super Bowl. Um, and it just took him a while to get the offense to feel comfortable, and I wonder if we're seeing some of that here. I mean, we saw Arthur Smith last year with Ryan, and it certainly wasn't one of his best years. But we didn't pay much attention to it because everything else was so such a mess around him. It didn't really it wasn't like we were going to blame him for it. But I wonder if that's a thing. Like if it just takes him a while to settle into some of these newer systems, uh, to learn a Frank Reich offense, and and to feel comfortable with what he's doing in that offense. Um, I wonder if that's something that. We're going to see with Matt Ryan a little bit. So Colts offense, yeah, it's a big question mark moving forward. Is that just how that offensive line is going to play? Can they clean it up? Right now, they're a clear weakness. They're not able to dominate teams in the ground like they used to, um, or like they did last season. Uh, so they've had trouble getting Jonathan Taylor really going. They've struggled early in games. And because of that, they're getting away from their bread and butter in the run game, which you know I think that can only take them so far anyway. You, know, you know, Even if they win a couple games now, it might help just, Keep them alive until they can figure out the passing game, but I mean they're coming into a situation now where I know they're oh one and one because of the tie, but they probably look like one of the worst teams in the league through two weeks. I mean, get shut out by the Jaguars, it's, it's tough to bounce back from that. I think and so. Yeah, I think that's going to be one of the one of the things to watch with India is just what happens with Matt Ryan moving forward. You know, is if this struggles continue to this degree degree, I think we're talking about a team that finishes near the bottom of the AFC. Because they're they're good on defense, but not great. They're not like an unbelievable defense, in my opinion. And I know uh, Shaq Leonard missed the last game, but you know he, even as he comes back, I don't think this is a great defense across the board. Um, so yeah, lots of questions in Indy, no clear easy answers there. And I just wonder. I mean, if they struggle and they don't make the playoffs this year, I fully expect Frank Reich to be gone. And you can talk about whether that's fair or not. And I you know I, I like Frank Reich. I think he's done. Some really good things, but you got to win games and they've had enough talent where he's going to definitely get the axe. I feel like if, if that doesn't happen and but I just wonder at what point we start talking about Chris Ballard and, you know, the fact that this team's been pretty good and they've had an opportunity to kind of add a game changer, at wide receiver, add a game changer, a cornerback, add a game changer as a pass rusher. Um, and they've done none of those things. And you've watched teams like the Bucks do those things. You've watched teams like uh, the Rams do those things. You've watched teams like all these teams over the years, you know, that have kind of gone out this, this past year. I mean, Miami goes out and they get Tyree kill and the Raiders go out and they get Devonte Adams. And those are teams that are in pretty similar spots to where the Colts have been talent wise, maybe even a little behind where the Colts have been talent wise, maybe not this year, but in years past. And they've gone out and they made that big move. And they and they tried to put it over the top. And the early returns are are good on at least those players. And Miami, obviously, 2-0. And obviously, the Rams and the Bucks went and made those major moves. And look how far it took them. And all these teams have made these big splashes. And the Bills made the big splash this offseason. Went and got Vaughn Miller. And they went and got Stephon Diggs. And now they look like the best team in the NFL. And Ballard hasn't done any of that stuff. He hasn't done any of it. He's not made any of those big moves. He's just sat on his hands. He's kept the money. He saved it. And year after year after year after year and stopgap quarterbacks. And he's never made the big trade up the board for a quarterback and never risked it. Just you got to have stones. You got to have stones to be a GM in the NFL. Jason Light exemplifies that. Uh, Brandon Bean exemplifies that. Like these guys aren't scared. Even Mickey Loomis. I don't even agree with all the moves he's made. But the Saints, like... big moves up the board all the time you see it I'm trying to make big moves up big moves for latimore big moves when they moved up the board for davenport and i'm just saying the colts haven't tried to be aggressive like that um and ballad's a solid drafter got a good eye for talent but he's treated free agency like it doesn't exist and he's not made the big moves via trade either he's he's kind of gathered all his draft picks and look at where it's brought him and so i don't think he's terrible gm that's not my point my point is just this roster isn't what people thought it would be, and I don't know how you describe that. Others as disappointment in the GM at where they are at this point in time. As for Jacksonville, man, this is a fun team. I don't know how many games they're going to win, but you know, the, all eyes are obviously on Trevor Lawrence right now. I watched this tape of this game. He made some great throws. He got outside structure, made some great throws. His ability to throw back across his body as he's rolling either way but especially he's rolling to the left and kind of get his feet twist his arm just got kind of that you talk about that looseness that flexibility of an upper body of a quarterback and throwing motion that a lot of the great ones in the league right now have um to be able to change angles and throw from off platform. he has that like he can do all that Uh, he's got that kind of an arm um and he made some awesome throws on the move and he also made some just terrible throws. Dropped interceptions that could have changed the game. Julian Blackman dropped one, um, ranging over from the middle. Heck of a free safety, by the way. I think he's at least in coverage. Um, another Colts Who was it? I forget. Uh, I don't think it's in my notes here. Colts, one of the corners, I think, dropped a pick um, off his fingertips later in the game. I think it was later in the game. Um, those picks could have changed the game uh, for sure. Dropped interceptions, um, so he survived them. Consistency isn't there yet for Lawrence, but he definitely looks better this year. Accuracy looks better this year, I think, more than anything. Decision-making is still coming along, but accuracy looks better for him. Um, Timing in the pocket, and he's got an improved tackle play. I mean, Cam Robinson and Juwan Taylor look really good right now, and they both guys that have had questions, high draft picks that have had questions, uh, at different well, I, I guess both were early second rounders, but have had questions at different points during their time starting for Jacksonville. And both are playing well through two weeks. We'll see if that continues, but that's helping Trevor Lawrence as well. Uh, he's got kind of more time to be able to make decisions and make good throws. The offensive line's playing well enough for Jacksonville, I think, um, so far, which is which is a good thing. I will say this though, they had no answer for Grover Stewart, <laughs> that Colts defensive tackle, Grover Stewart. If you haven't heard of him, folks, he is on the short list of top defensive, no, top nose tackles, run-stuffing nose tackles in the NFL. And not, not, a, not necessarily a great pass rusher, but what a presence against the run. He is phenomenal. Um, and so I think that he's going to be one of those players that hopefully by the end of the season people have more awareness of. But he was awesome, awesome for the Colts in this game, awesome against the Bucks in the preseason, awesome last week, just in general has looked like one of the better Nose tackles in the league through a couple weeks and so keep your eyes on him if you're watching the Colts play but back to Jacksonville yeah this is a fun team on offense more so than they were a year ago and Lawrence had nobody to throw to I think Marvin Jones is solid but Christian Kirk is playing really well uh, I know everybody flipped out about the contract and I totally get it I was one of those people that was like he's not this good I don't know if he is that good, but he's good, and he's playing well in this system, and and so I think that has to be super encouraging because you spend a lot of money on him, and you want him to be a, a difference maker, and so far, he's gotten open, he's made plays on the ball, the tough plays, and uh, we know he can stretch the field, so there's some real potential there for him to be a fun target for Lawrence, I don't know if he's ever going to be the number one guy, anchor a passing attack guy, anything like that, Um but this is an improved receiving core, um, and James Robinson is a blast to watch out of the backfield. Still trying to figure out what E.T.N. is. I think he's still trying to figure out what he is. But a little bit more interest offensively in this team to me than a year ago, which isn't saying much, I know. I still don't think they're going to be very good offense, but definitely more interesting than they were in the past, especially with Doug Peterson uh, calling the plays uh, and everything. Um, Josh Allen, Travon Walker, and uh, Devin Lloyd man that's fun like they just looked phenomenal in this game walker is still learning as a pass rusher but i think i maybe undervalued this a little bit although i moved him up my board as the draft process went on but just so hard to be as competitive as smart as big and strong and as athletic as he is and be bad even in the nfl like it's just really hard you can have all the physical traits but he just cares so much he Plays so hard. He's so physical and aggressive. And it just makes a lot of things happen when you move like that and you're that big and strong. Like, makes a lot of things happen. So, hands up in the passing lanes and knocking guys over when they're off balance and getting through gaps. And, you know, he's. we'll see how he develops as a pass rusher. But right now, he, I mean, he's at the very least like a high-floor starter in the NFL. And then we'll just see what the ceiling is. Um, But it's going to be fun to find out, man. And Josh Allen is – we don't talk about him enough. I feel like he – coming into the league, he was like, really talked about a ton in that draft, he was like, all this hype, and then he got to the NFL, and I know Jacksonville's been bad, but it just feels like nobody's talked about him, he's a really good player, like, there's not many guys with his burst and bend combination off the edge, and plays the run well, he competes like crazy, vocal leader, Uh, he's a cornerstone piece there, Um, probably the leader of that young defense, to be honest, and then Devin Lloyd, man, I mean, he missed some of the preseason, this was a guy I had in my top 10, I couldn't believe he fell, and this looks like a huge steal. I mean, what a... Just making plays in the run game. Firing through gaps. Pass rushing. Coverage. I mean, he had two pass breakups. Three pass breakups in this game. And a pick. The pick was a, a tip ball. line of scrimmage was an easy one for him. But made some great plays on the ball. Barely missed another one that ended up being a completion. Um, he dove out in zone coverage and just by a fingertip uh, missed the ball. He Those three. Those are their cornerstone beasts, in my opinion. You hope... The young corners come along, and that there's you know they, they've you know, there's been encouraging signs so far. But those are the three cornerstone pieces, and to see all of them playing this well and this confident too—that's the other part. Like th- they just look very confident in how they play. Um, physical, trash talking, aggressive, push guys after the play. Like there's an edge to them. They carry themselves that way. So very very enjoyable group. I, I very much look forward to watching Jacksonville every week when I get to the tape and. I don't know when the last time I said that was. So fun, fun team to watch. Davin Hamilton, the nose tackle. I just had in my notes, his get off is unbelievable. So if you're a Jags fan listening and you've noticed that, I see you. I just want to throw that out there. Sometimes I'll do that. I'll throw these little notes. I don't have anything else to say. Just the dude is the first guy off the ball every single snap when he's on the field. It's crazy. Um, He's not even that good yet, but he's just so fast off the ball for a nose tackle. You don't see that very often. Um, Deep defensive line. Lots of good players on that defensive line. Lots of rotation. They can keep pressure on the quarterback. They're going to be a really, they're going to be a really challenging team for everybody that they play because they can rush with four and they're opportunistic uh, behind them, and that's going to make them a really pesky defense. Um, young guys who just don't know enough to know that they shouldn't be this good. Like they're just going to be uh, pretty cocky, I think, as they gain confidence. So fun defense. They fully deserve that shutout against the Colts. That was a dominant performance by them. The Colts didn't look like they could do anything for most of that game. Let's keep it rolling. Let's talk about another young team that is just on their way up. The Lions 36, the Commanders 27. Jared Goff. I mean, four touchdown passes, and some of these throws were really good, man. Like I, we hate on Jared Goff a lot in the media. He's, I think, if probably if you went across all starting quarterbacks in the NFL, he probably gets the most hate from the media. They don't they ignore him when he does good things, and love to criticize the bad things. And he's certainly not that great. But he's also not the worst quarterback in the league or anything like he's made out to be at times. And you know, he certainly has his weaknesses that get exposed at times. But man, the offensive line's playing pretty well. He looks pretty good. Um, some of his touchdowns, some of his throws the other day were great. He had a great corner route throw at one point during the game. I forget who it was to uh, it was touchdown throw to Amon Ross St. Brown, just as he was about to get sandwiched by two defenders. It was a great throw on the move uh, to the back of the end zone, placed it perfectly, where the defender couldn't get it. It was just a really, he, he's playing with confidence, um, which is always big with golf. You know, you can tell when that's gone um, and he doesn't feel like they believe in him anymore. And right now it looks like they believe in him and he's uh, kind of emboldened by the way the team's played and prepared for these games and he's playing great. And, He's got some options, too. Another team that just kind of, I don't know if they have a game-changer at wide receiver, but Josh Reynolds, DJ Chark, and especially Amon Ross St. Brown, these are good players, and and you're seeing Josh Reynolds make some plays, especially in the red area. And um, Amon Ross St. Brown, man, I mean, he could have 130 touches this season, whether it's carries, catches. I mean, the guy's always open, great blocker. Honestly, he's not that dissimilar from Cooper Cup, who Goff's played with and obviously thrived with before he's got some similarities to cooper cup stylistically in terms of the way they play i don't know yet if he has the ball skills the cup has um uh, to be able to go get it kind of all over the field the body controlling the boundaries some of the things that make cup really so special uh, but and maybe not after the catch either but man is a route runner is a guy who knows how to get open makes tough catches um sits in the middle the field moves the chains uh has some run after catch ability. Um, really just a, a good solid consistent player who's gonna i think just be in that role for them for for a long time um and doesn't really need a lot of maintenance it's not like you have to figure out all this stuff for um and ross st brown like you put them in the slot you move them around they do all kinds of stuff with them already um but he can he can get open. And I think that's one of the that we overlook that sometimes a receiver. Well, he doesn't have the best size or leaping ability or speed or any of those things. And I think all those things are important for determining ceiling. But at some point you just want guys that can play. And that's what the Lions really needed. They need guys that could just play and get open. Uh, and if a team eventually figures out, yeah, we're gonna focus on taking away Amon Ross St. Brown, then yeah, the Lions are probably in trouble because they don't have a lot else right now. You know, Shark is coming back from injury, um, definitely has the speed. The ball skills down the field are are very questionable right now. I think there's been some plays he could make if he tracked and adjusted the ball better. That's a big part of being a deep threat. Some people think it's just about speed, but the ball skills are so important, and I think that's going to be lacking for him a little bit. But Josh Reynolds has played well, and and yeah, Talkinson's a good player, and um, I think that one of the breakout players probably the first two games of the year, if you can say that, is uh, DeAndre Swift, and uh, his play looked great on the pass gate, he caught a pass fell down, kind of, he was behind him a little bit, fell down, got back up, like, immediately, good sign of athleticism, I think, um, and got back up, made some people miss, and wove his way to the end zone. Uh, And he's had some, he's had a bunch of explosive plays as a runner, looked great week one, I loved watching him week one, watched his All-22 week one, I was really impressed. Um, Another player, if you watched Hard Knocks, you knew confidence was an issue, it feels like that's been instilled in him by the coaching staff and the way he's played so far, so... Bunch of young guys playing well on offense for the Lions. They've been blasts to watch, uh, you know, for even going back to last year, to be honest. But the thing is with these guys, it's just <laughs> they are so much what they have been kind of represented to be in the media, right? Like they have this kind of tough, hard nosed underdog mentality, old school movie, you know, kind of feel about them, whether it's watching Hard Knocks or watching interviews last year, or Dan Campbell or all this stuff. And then you watch them play and it's like, this Dan Skipper's throwing key blocks on, in his first NFL start on DeAndre Swift's long run uh, early in the game. He's got like the key block, like, took a guy out of the hole completely. Um, Charles Harris has a strip sack safety. I mean, Charles Harris, like this is this is the guy that went before, like T.J. Watt and stuff. Like this guy's been one of the biggest busts of the NFL, and he's like dipping the corner and strip sack and Wentz for a safety. And uh, Will Harris has this, who's been another bust for the Lions. Boston College safety, I think it was a third round pick a couple years ago, diving interception on a Wentz overthrow, just as the tides of the game seem to be turning and the Washingtons driving, you know, down. Like two scores and they're driving in the third quarter, I think, and he makes his diving pick, and they just these are guys that aren't really that good and probably are never going to get you championship, but like they've got a lot of these pieces right now, just like pieces, you know, players that could be depth pieces and things like that. They they're lacking star power at almost every level right now, and it's what's going to prevent them ultimately from being like really good in this version of themselves. But man, it's gonna be attractive to some free agents I think to try to come here. how aggressive they are in terms of general managing is going to be very is going to be key for this team because right now they can ride this for a little while but this team is going to be good but not great that their ceiling is clear like they're not going to be a great team. and so how far do they get like this and then how do they stay there too long where it like runs out of steam and they don't there's no ceiling and players start to see that and they start to get you know, a little bit um, disappointed in the fact that they see this, the writing on the wall for themselves every week, like how good they're going to be. But right now they just believe, believe, believe. And they have to be able to make moves to get the roster to the top before that belief runs out. It doesn't mean it has to be this season. But I wonder by next season, like if that needs to happen. If they need to be a, like we're making a major move. We're going to get a guy. Um, maybe that's a quarterback. I don't know what this draft is going to look like yet, but that there will just be a lot of like how how much the front office can keep going what the coaching staff has done is going to be huge for this for this franchise um, i also love that Detroit answered every Washington drive. I think that shows a lot of fortitude for a young team uh, when things start going against them, and they did for a little while, that it looked like Washington was getting the momentum. Uh, They made splash plays. They kept coming on offense. They finished things. They kept the energy up, but that was really encouraging to see. Last thing I'll say on the Lions, a couple things on Washington in a second, but um, in Hutchinson's three sacks, everybody flipping out about it. Uh, First half, he had three sacks. I was excited to see him. Uh, to be honest with you, again, I promise I'd always be just unbiased and pretty honest with you as I watched tape about what I saw. His three sacks were, were pretty meh. Um, they were not great uh, individual skill plays, so beating guys one-on-one, anything like that. Um, first one was uh, he was completely blocked by Charles Leno. Carson Wentz kind of moving around in the pocket, trying to scramble, steps up in the pocket. Hutchinson does a good job of seeing him and just kind of chasing him down the line and dropping him you know, short of the line of scrimmage. Wentz kind of moves into it. Um, great hustle play, good awareness, not really anything in terms of pass rush skill on that play. Second one, he tries to turn the corner, he gets pushed way wide of the arc, um, can't bend, it kind of bend underneath the block and he gets pushed way wide, and Wentz just like takes off and like moves back in the pocket and like lat- left in the pocket and Hutchinson's getting pushed way wide and he just runs like right into Hutchinson. It's like just classic Carson Wentz lack of awareness. Um, but, again, like just completely blocked on that play and um, not not an indication of pass rush skill at all in that play. And then uh, he had one that was off a game. It was unblocked. He kind of crashed the defensive tackles down inside and looped him from the end up through, I think it was the A gap, and he came in unblocked, just a blown assignment, and, and got a sack. So, again, good hustle plays, good execution, awareness, those kind of things, but no pass rush skill like really required on those plays. Um, he wasn't beating anybody one on one. So just if you saw the box score, um, saw three sacks and thought, "Wow, this guy's going to be the next Lawrence Taylor," that might be the case. But this game certainly was not an indication of that. He did have one really good rush late in the game. It wasn't a sack. It won't go up on the box score at all. I don't even know if it goes as a pressure because Wentz threw the ball early. But he beat uh, the Charles Leno actually around the edge and just a good fan dip rip kind of uh, move off the edge it was kind of definitely the most impassive pass rush he had of the game honestly he was pretty well taken care of throughout the game but that was one rep that stood out so again not trying to hate or ran on the parade if you're a Lions fan like totally get it I think Aiden Hudson is really good I had him as first round grade I, I like him I think he's gonna be a good player but those three sacks just saying they weren't an indication of uh, one-on-one pass rush skill that maybe a lot of three sack games would be um this is this is uh, Probably the whole essence of Commander season is just going to be what is Carson Wentz and if he's not the guy, which I think we all probably believe he's not, and we'll see w- whether they believe it or not after the season, What's what are we going to do with that position? There's no uh, answer really on the roster right now, so I just think what at least what they're doing is finding that out, where Indianapolis didn't really find that out till the end of the year last year. Um, they just kind of neutered them all year, and they barely you know, took him out to do anything with. They just tried to run the ball a ton, play defense. And shockingly, kind of like, I wouldn't say it worked. They didn't make the playoffs, but it worked enough that they didn't want to get away from it throughout the season. And Washington's just like, we're just going to go for it. Like, we're not going to run the ball a ton. We're just letting Wentz rip it. We're going to let him throw it on the field. We're going to live with the negative plays. and We're going to hope he makes enough good ones. And last week he made enough good ones. And this week he made enough bad ones. And that's just who he's always going to be. He's never going to be different than this. Good stretches of play, backbreaking mistakes, uh, if you ask him to be aggressive at all, he's gonna eventually kill you. If you neuter him, you'll never win because you need more from that from the quarterback position. You know, I mean, the Colts probably did. They navigated that little impasse as much as you can in terms of neutering him and still getting enough offense and running the ball on defense and that perfect storm of things that the Commanders aren't even capable of, um, and they still didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> so you gotta let him rip it, and you're just probably not gonna be that good, and you're probably not gonna make it. But he gets on some hot streaks and maybe you know other team makes some mistakes your defense makes some plays you you run the ball well enough um a couple drop picks maybe maybe you're good this wasn't one of those days Lions made him pay went's definitely good stretches of play even in this game um but you know it's it's just to be honest with you it's just not it's not ever going to change who he is so it should be about the rest of the stuff with the commanders and I think Jahan Dotson has probably been one of the most encouraging young players in the league this season, Uh, getting open, but also making combat catches, adjustments, going up, attacking the ball, big hands, strong hands. Um, He's just been a great – he's just been awesome. Uh, He looks like a pro, like a vet, Um, and obviously McLaurin is amazing. Dug out a low throw and a crosser from Wentz that was just like – we don't give enough praise to the guys who catch low balls. It's so hard. It's such a great skill, and he dug one out beautifully. And so those two look dynamic. Some creative stuff with Curtis Samuel in this game. Um, they put him in the backfield. They got him on a wheel route versus a defensive end Charles Harris uh, for a touchdown. That was cool. I thought um, because later in the game you saw them kind of put him in like a they reduced his split all the way down and kind of put him in the in a slot uh, in the slot and then did like a play action roll out with Wentz rolling out to his side, but Samuel kind of leaking across the formation like he's down blocking on a linebacker, but then just kind of leaking out and then taking off down the opposite sideline and went to throw back and hit him down the field for a big gain um that's what you have to kind of do with Curtis Samuel great athlete not really a very technical player so how can you create touches for him and you can that hurts when he's your wide receiver one or two it's a lot easier when he's your wide receiver three and he's kind of like a gadget piece and you have Gibson and Logan Thomas and some of these other guys you can get the ball to um and so this is kind of how they're using him has been kind of fun I think Honestly, I think they're doing some good things in terms of their schematics. The quarterback's just gonna limit them. And so um they'll be a, they'll be a pesky team. You know, they get um Chase Young back, and I think they'll be a pesky team. Oh, one more note on the commanders. Uh Jameen Davis, who was the first round pick last year, looks improved for sure. Some good plays and coverage, um a, a sack early in the game, a couple good run stuffs. It's not perfect, but he is developing, and last year there was a lot of talk, he was a bust. And he's playing with a lot of confidence too. Another guy gets up lots of energy after each play. Um, body language looks good. So I definitely see, although I would not have made that pick, I like Jameen Davis coming out and I see, I see more potential for him than I see from Zayvon Collins, who most people thought they should have taken, or, or, or I don't remember who went first, but most people thought was better. I'll put it that way. Um, so, yeah, some encouraging things for Washington fans. Uh, you've got some really good young players. And I think if you ever figure out the quarterback position, <laughs> that this team could be all right. I just, I don't know when or if that's going to happen, to be honest with you. It just um, feels like that's a challenge right now for Washington. They've got to figure out that part of it. And it just hasn't happened so far. Patriots seventeen, Steelers fourteen. Oh my gosh! Obviously, most of you know if you're listening. I grew up Steelers fan. Covered the Steelers for a while in the media. Obviously, watch every Steeler game for as long as I can, my whole life. Um, I cannot remember a more nondescript Steelers game. I just I rewatched the game. I'm like I have no idea what even happened in this game. There's just it was the most boring game. I don't say that about many NFL games. You'll rarely hear me say that. This was just such a boring game. I mean, it just really an ugly game just all around. Um, You know, you watch the Steelers right now. You watch them for pass rush, and without TJ Watt, there wasn't a ton of that. Cole Strange did a pretty good job on Cam Hayward. And Alex Ithemis had some some moments, but Mac Jones does do a great job of managing the pocket and getting the ball out on time. So kind of negated the fun there. Um, Late in the game, the Steelers' run defense fell apart. Lots of missed gap assignments. We saw a ton of that. We always see a ton of that over the years from the Steelers. Um, talented as they are, just they just don't play with a lot of gap assignments. You know, I, I thought about this. It's funny. There were some Steelers media, one in particular, that was kind of like, this should be the year the Steelers finally exercise their demons and just know the Patriots without Tom Brady. They should just take it all out on them, and this should be a blowout game. And I'm, First of all, I'm like, what offense did you watch in week one? This team is not capable of Of blowing teams out. But also, the Patriots were like favored. So it was just like a ridiculous narrative that no one actually believed, I don't think. But the Steelers really are just like the anti Patriots. Like, there's all these reports the Patriots guys, they leave New England. Like, I hated playing there. Like, it was terrible. But you won, and like, You knew your job and you coached hard and you did your stuff. You know, Steelers are kind of like the opposite. Everybody loves playing in Pittsburgh. Everybody loves playing for Mike Tomlin. It's a crazy energy, kind of enthusiastic team. They lose and they're still enthusiastic. The morale is always high. They love playing together. The culture is great. But they just make a ton of dumb mistakes and they're undisciplined in assignments. And week to week, there's no flow and they could play down against anybody. And you just, it's been this way for years under Tomlin. There's just like... The details are not there and then the Patriots and the other time there's like very little like flash about them there's not like this enthusiasm like people leave like I said and they say like oh man playing here was miserable it's like the military you know but players don't screw up assignments for the most part like um you know there and they've been younger lately than in seasons past so there's been a little bit more of that maybe not as much this isn't as much maybe as the Patriots used to be but for years like this was kind of like the Patriots were just this team of, like, the opposite in terms of their cultural feel. But on the field, like, it just got it done because their players just didn't screw up. They didn't even have, I mean, even over the years, like, when they had Brady, obviously, had more talent at times. But so many years, they just didn't have that much talent or flash. And this is certainly one of those years. I mean, they I mean, they don't have that much talent, to be honest with you. Like, it's, it's crazy for as much money as they spent in free agency two years ago. But they just don't have that much talent or flash. But their players didn't screw up and as much. And the Steelers did screw up a good bit, and playing soft zone coverage against Mac is probably the worst way to play it. He's going to just take what's in front of him all day. And those guys made plays after the catch. And um, you know, just to play a team, the one team executes way better than the other Steelers are more talented. I think than the Patriots right now, but um, it's not going to show up as long as the quarterback is Mr. <clears throat> um And I've been obviously very critical of Mac Canada. And I, I think he's terrible, but you know, Trubisky's the one that's going to get replaced before Canada. And so, um, bad mechanics, throwing off his back foot all game long, um, questionable decisions at times, throwing the ball into coverage. Yeah, there's not enough route concepts to the middle of the field, but he also doesn't look to the middle of the field enough, doesn't want to throw there. Um, you could see the physical talent when he does do everything right at times, but it's just, it's, naive to think that that's going to be consistent at this point with him. I think that that's going to be uh, consistently how he ever plays quarterback. Um, so can he pick it soon? Maybe. I don't know. I just want to see him. I don't know that he's going to be a, the savior of this situation or anything like that, but I just rather watch that than when you just, once you see Trubisky, a couple games, you're like, oh, Trubisky hasn't changed at all. Like, and the offensive line is not going to play better than they played the last two games. Cause it's not a very good group, but they played fine and he's just still been terrible. So, um, yeah, and, and Najee Harris is a mess as well. Way too much dancing, looks super hesitant, looks like he's never – he just can't make a decision. He's falling over because he's like, oh, which way should I go? I don't know. And then he's falling over on his own two feet. Um, he's a mess. <clears throat> he's a mess right now. I don't know whether that improves, to be honest or not. But um, too many, too much talent on offense for the Steelers to be as bad as they've been. I mean, ideally you'd bench Trubisky and fire Matt Canada, but I, you know, you should have done that before the season with Canada. So at this point, you're probably just hoping Kenny Pickett can show something this year. And that's probably the most you hope for, for the Steelers on the defensive side. There's still bright spots. Minko Fitzpatrick is the best safety in football. Um, again, playing outstanding an unbelievable interception. Um, he's just he's a beast he's a special player and and watt is a special player and hayward and Highsmith looks very good and miles jack's been a huge bright spot and i think Akela witherspoon has played pretty well i know he got mossed on that touchdown but again he's using great position and um has done a lot of really good things i think most times he, he makes a play on that ball but you know you get got sometimes so at least he was in position um if you're evaluating moving forward anyway and so some encouraging things and for the Patriots you know getting Aguilar involved more I think is probably the biggest thing for them Mention them not having much talent or flash but I mean he's a former first round pick he's super athletic obviously consistency's always been an issue but he is talented um, and I know Jacoby Myers is a good player but he doesn't have Aguilar's talent um, in terms of athleticism and upside and things like that so you obviously you're going to use Myers sort of similar to like Amon Ross St. Brown and some of those other guys that we've talked about on this show already but I don't think you're necessarily going to get those explosive plays unless you get Agler involved in this offense. He's kind of your only hope uh, for that. Um, Oh, I remember Jonu Smith, too. I remember him being a guy they spent a lot of money on, but I don't remember if they ever thought, oh, we should maybe use him more. Hmm, that would be something for them to think about moving forward. But, yeah, they just, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing at some of their positions, honestly, and I don't know what the ceiling is for this offense. But they ran the ball better. Um, I think Ben Fennel pointed it out on Twitter, got back to a lot of power concepts. And um, the offensive line, which was thought to be a concern going into the season, looks fine. I just don't know when Mac's ever going to be able to – if he's ever going to be able to make those real high-end plays um, that the best quarterbacks in the league make week to week. So. Something eventually they're going to have to find out. It would help to have more talent in the passing game around him, But eventually I think they'll have to figure that part out before they realize what their ceiling is going to be with him on offense. Let's talk about the Jets and the Browns, man. This was another fun game. Uh, Jets coming back, obviously. A lot of people know the situation by now. But I'm just going to go over it real quick for people who don't know. Browns up 24-17 and moving moving with the football and really have multiple opportunities to run out the clock i think people have centered on nick chubb kind of scoring when they could have knelt out the clock late in the game with like 155 left he could have just gone down at the one and they would have just knelt a couple plays in a row and that would have been it um because the jets had no timeouts at that point but before that kareem hunt went out of bounds two times so he preserved the two-minute warning and the jets final timeout on that final browns drive so That was even more of a mistake to me because the score on the touchdown, you're like, okay, we're going to put us up 13 with a minute 55 left. I think it was like, what, 2,000 consecutive games when that hadn't been overcome by another team. That kind of sucks. Like, yeah, you should probably go down in bounds. But also, like, I have way more concern with Kareem Hunt going out of bounds twice when he had opportunities to go down in bounds. They could have continued to run that clock when they were already up. It's not like they needed to score that drive. They just needed to run clock. And he could have, I mean, it wasn't like he picked up major extra yardage by not doing that. It wasn't like he cut back to the middle of the field. He just got taken down along the sideline when he could have just gone out of bounds a yard or two earlier on his own. And so that was a big concern more so than Chubb scoring the touchdown to me. But the perfect storm of things that needed to go wrong for the Browns to still lose this game was incredible. I mean, you had Denzel Ward, one of the best corners in football, blowing a quarter's coverage. To Corey Davis. Just, I don't even know what he's looking at. Just blowing it and leaving Corey Davis all by himself late in the game. I mean, corner's coverage is a minute 30 left in the game. What are you doing? Like, I just have no idea what you could possibly be thinking as a corner in that situation. And he's just leaving him wide open down the right side to walk in for a touchdown. Cool. Okay. Now it's what 30 to 24 um, after the extra point there. So then you flub the onside kick, and the Jets get it. Okay, you're still probably fine. I mean, there's a minute 20-something. They have to go like 67 yards. You're probably still fine. Two Jets drops in the middle of the field on the game-winning drive. I mean, guys wide open and just dropped the football, but they wouldn't have gotten that much yardage. Just underneath throws by Flacco. No idea what he's thinking or what he's trying to do. Throwing just short underneath. wasn't even under pressure, and they dropped it both times. Just wide open guys drop the ball. But if they catch those balls, that clock probably runs out because they have no way of stopping the clock. Remember, they have no timeouts at this point. And they're under the two minutes. So, I mean, that's probably, I mean, you combine those. When you talk about getting lined up and all those things and now you've lost a down or whatever because, like, they didn't pick up the first down when they caught the ball. And so spiking becomes less of an option. All those things, like, I mean, you're probably talking about the time that it took for them to score. Like, it's not out of the question that if they catch those two balls, they would have lost that game because the clock would have run out in regulation. Um and they didn't, you know, obviously they, they dropped those they dropped those two balls and to the clock stops and that allowed them to get better plays when with when they uh got back under center for the next play. But just the amount of things that had to go right were just so comical um for the Browns to be able to to win or to lose this game. Um and they all went wrong for the Browns and right for the Jets. And Jets come away with a big victory. You know, Flacco was bad early. Um honestly he wasn't that much better late, but he made a good throw at the end to Garrett Wilson um Garrett Wilson I would say looks like the best rookie wide receiver through two weeks and I don't know that I'd say I'd seen anything from anybody else that makes me think that's going to change in the near future except for maybe Jahan Dotson those guys look like the best most confident sophisticated guys early on Traylon Burks and Drake London have shown some good things um when they've got chances some other guys have there haven't been a ton of chances elsewhere around the league just yet but um I would say that Garrett Wilson looks like the best wide receiver in this class through two weeks. It's early. Uh, Traylon Burks was my wide receiver one. Garrett Wilson was my wide receiver two um, coming out of, coming into this draft. Um, so I'd say that's how it looks early on um, for those guys. Um, Wilson and Elijah Moore just open a lot, and Flacco misses them more than he should, more than you'd like. Um, but you know, hey, like the. the the important thing moving forward for the Jets, they're not going to be very good this year, but the important thing moving forward is just how those two receivers look long-term and then obviously Zach Wilson when he gets back. And those guys look like guys you can you can build your passing attack off of and you add Corey Davis to it. That's a really good wide receiver trio. You know, we're talking about a lot of these young teams with quarterbacks who we're not sure about, it. Wentz and Goff and Flacco and Wilson when he gets in there and and even Tua, you know, but look at all the wide receiver cores. Look at all the wide receiver talent. Like, they're surrounding these guys with, with good, talented wide receivers. And um, I just think that's going to be the way the league goes, man. There's wide receivers everywhere right now. Uh, and there's more in every draft. And we've had, like, banger drafts, one after one after one after the other. And so I think that you're going to see a lot. Of, that position has just become such a premium um, to look for talent at that position early in the draft. Game changers are hard to find for sure. Um, and then... Both the Jets' running backs, too, are just a blast. I mean, Michael Carter is probably one of the most under-discussed players in the league right now. But, man, is he good. Brees Hall looks good. Um, They both make people miss. Explosive. Good hand. They both can catch, too. You know, it's usually like one guy can catch, one guy can't. That's how the Browns were for a while. Nick Chubb didn't do the receiving. Kareem Hunt did. You know, the Saints for a while. Uh, Yeah, Alvin Kamara did the receiving. Mark Ingram didn't do as much of that. But these guys both can catch. And they both can do things in the open field. And so, because of that, I think that there's just going to be a lot of ways they can use the two of them together. And I think those roles are only going to grow as they move forward. So, two really good players at the backfield, some really good receivers. Like, it's just kind of a fun team. Again, a lot of these teams that probably aren't going to be that good this year are still have a lot of talent and are fun. They're just not going to be that good because there are limitations at quarterback right now but the rest of it they're doing a good job of building the rest of the teams in some of these places so that when they get the quarterback there could be if we get a run of quarterbacks at some point where like they're really good and we honestly we really need the the Lawrence class to to be really good you know in terms from a league perspective but if we get a run where like some of these quarterbacks are really good in a draft and they go to some of these teams at the right time we could have some really fun team. Like the Jets could turn around quick, I think, with a better quarterback. And maybe that's Wilson. I don't know yet. Um, same with Washington. Like as I mentioned before, I think they could be a good team. If they got a really good quarterback. Um, you know, there's teams like that. Alliance again could be a team that eventually is probably going to need a better quarterback than Goff to to get to the places that they're capable of going uh, as a, uh, in terms of the rest of their roster. Um, you know, again, Elijah Ver Tucker, another young guy on the Jets. I mean, he looks like one of the best guards in football. Some of his blocks on the second level were sick in this matchup. Um, really just athletic, powerful, everything I hoped he would be. He was top five player, maybe six or seven player for me in that class. And uh, looks like he, he's proved me right in, in the way he's played so far. Um, so, yeah, some really just encouraging things for the Jets, I think, um, just with some of their young players that they've really invested a lot in terms of the draft. They've hit a lot of picks. They really have. Um, A lot of these picks look really good. Uh, I wish Makai Beckton could get out there. Obviously, that would be huge. Health has been what's held him back, I think, more than anything. But um, right now, a lot of these other guys look like they're really uh, making the leap, which is huge. Um, From the Browns' perspective, got Amari Cooper involved more. Looked like they moved him around. I don't know if they moved him around more this week. I didn't pay enough attention last week to see if they did or not. But. Just the guy that talented, nine catches, 101 yards, and a touchdown. That's what you got to do. You have to lean on him like crazy on offense, I think, if you're the Browns right now. Just try to get in the ball as much as you can. And It would have and should have probably worked in this game, and and so we'll see if they keep coming back to that moving forward. Uh, Miles Garrett wrecked George Font most of this game but they only have one pass rusher, you know, and Clowney did have a great, I know he's hurt now, but he had a six sack. He kind of, he actually got blocked. <laughs> he was getting pushed past the quarterback and he reached with his near hand. You don't usually see it. Usually it's the opposite. And then he reached with his near hand and knocked the ball out of Flacco's hand. It was, it was a heads up play, but it wasn't like he really beat the blocker that badly. It's a little bit of a lucky play, but um, they really just don't have another difference maker as a pass rusher. So it's Miles Garrett. Another final drive that was just so obvious. And I think Clowney was out at that point, but it was just so obvious that Miles Garrett's the only difference maker they have. And you just think back and think about how many times this team has tried to build on the defensive line and, you know, put really dominant players around Miles Garrett. And just you think about some of the edge guys that have played there over the years, Ogba and obviously Clowney, and they've just tried to put other people in place there. And it just has not they have not been able to build that like four man dominant pass rush group that they have kind of tried to over the years and I wonder if that's going to limit their ceiling but other than that man I mean you don't want to be in the trenches with this team on the other side of the ball I'm telling you like they're just killers in the run game I mean you still watch many teams like multiple pancakes and Wyatt Teller and Betonio and Jedrick Wills pulling is killing people and David and Njoku's one of the best blocking tight ends in the game I don't know where that came from but he's He's so good, and I mean, he's moving guys as a tight end. And then you have Hunt and Chubb, probably two of the hardest running backs to tackle in the league. And just the physicality when they're on offense is insane to watch. Probably the most fun unit to watch on tape, um, just because they can just physically just wreck people in the way that you don't really see in the NFL that much. And they're all they all have an attitude too, like all these guys. I mean, they just all do. They all play with that edge, and so a blast in that way. But ultimately we've seen it every year. Like as fun as that stuff is to watch, it only takes you so far. So obviously this team, you know, is going to get to Sean Watson at some point. But for right now, what can Jacoby Brissett do? Can he keep this team alive? I think through two weeks, he's been pretty disappointing. And I don't know if disappointing is a word. I don't know what you expect from, from Jacoby Brissett, but I don't think he's been very good. So I've seen him play better in the past. Let's put it that way. So the game they never should have lost. They're and one um, you know, so it could take some solace in that. That's probably better than a lot of people, a place a lot of people thought they'd be, but um, definitely still a lot of question marks moving forward for them. And they ultimately probably won't be answered this year for Cleveland, but how good can they be until they get Watson in there and settled in? That's going to be... Uh, one of the big question marks um, hit on a couple games a little bit quicker. Cause I know I've spent a lot of time on some of these games, 49ers. I don't have a lot to say about Seattle. Like this was a back down to earth game for them. They're not very good. They're not going to be very good. They're probably gonna be one of the worst teams in the NFL on both sides of the ball. Um, I hope, you know, DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. We'll see if eventually they trade Lockett or if something like that happens. I don't know what they're kind of visioning for this direction, but this was kind of lots of emotions last week. This is very much like a back down to earth game for them. You know, Geno Smith, I think he's fine. He wasn't like the biggest issue in this game. Um, But they're just not good enough on the offensive line or running the football or schematically or any of those things to really make a huge difference this season. They don't have pass rushers um, yet. We'll see what happens with Boy Mafe. I am excited about his potential for sure. They don't have really difference makers. Quandary Diggs is a good player. They don't have difference makers in the secondary outside of him, especially you know Jamal Adams now lost for probably the season I think. And so, yeah, they're running these four running back sets. Like this is absurd. Uh, DJ Dallas's interception throw on the goal line when they came out with four running backs, gotta be one of the dumbest plays, dumbest decisions by a player I've ever seen. Like they, I just don't really. They have no identity. They don't have enough talent. They're only one of the least talented teams in the league right now. So, yeah, Seattle's going to be bad, really bad, I think. And the 49ers, um, you know, Trey Lance obviously lost for the season in this game. I hate the whole, like, are they better without Trey Lance? He played, like, a, literally five quarters, not even. Like, I just, like, why, what are we doing? He played his first game of the year in a monsoon. You couldn't even, you couldn't evaluate anything from that game. Like, just, I just don't understand. Like, whoa, like, we just don't need to have these conversations. Like, we can just wait and find out when he eventually plays football again. Like, we can do that. We just don't have to do this. Like, this is a ridiculous th- – let's just talk about Jimmy Garoppolo came in. He looked like the guy he always looked like when he played there. He made got, plays the wide-open guys. He knows the offense really well. He was 13-21 to 21 for 15, 154 yards, and he threw a touchdown. And, you know, thankfully this time he didn't throw any picks, and um, he – Barely threw the ball down the field, and it's going to be the same thing. I mean, you're not going to, you know, they're going to be fine with Jimmy, but it's not like they're, it's all about the ceiling. That's why they did this. They did this to find out what the ceiling is with a more talented quarterback. And you're not going to get that with Jimmy Garoppolo. You're just not. This team's not going to be a contender this year with Jimmy Garoppolo. They they caught lightning in the bottle, and in, in, in the Super Bowl year, obviously, he played way better that year. Let's just be honest. He played way better that year than he's played in the last couple of years. And, you know, even last year, they, you know, to get where they got in the NFC. You know, the NFC things broke pretty nicely for them, I think, in terms of the matchups. But um, yeah, it just it's just not gonna happen every time um, for this team, you know, with with that level of quarterback play as good as Shanahan is. And now they're worse on the offensive line, they're worse at running back. You know, there's just real concerns about whether this team's good enough in some of their key areas. One of those areas is not the defense, though. And if there's any hope they have, it's just that this defense they got to be up there for the best defense. I know they lost that first game to the Bears, late in the game. But what they got—nineteen points or something. and The offense was horrible, and the monsoon, and they made like two to three mistakes in that game versus the Bears, and it cost them. The Pettis touchdown was such a fluky, weird play in the Bears game. I mean, it was just such a weird play. And then they gave up the—they t- blew the coverage late in the game. Everything else, literally, almost every other play, they killed that team. It's probably one of the best defensive performances I've seen in a, in a loss. Like, I mean, it was just watching the all 22 of that, t- that game last week, or t- week one, was unbelievable. And this week it was just more of the same. They just kill people up front. They're so physical, so physical. Most physical, other than, I mean, the Steelers dropped there as well, like defensively. The Bucks have been up there. But I think even more physical, no, just in terms of just absolutely trying to kill people every single snap. The 49ers defense is nuts. I mean, Armstead and Kinlaw and Kevin Givens is in there. And um, some of the other names are slipping my mind right now. Some of the guys I've seen, I had uh, notes on. Who did I? I? had notes on one of their guys from week one. EbuCom oh, played awesome off the edge for them in week one. I didn't notice him as much this past week. Um, Hugh Charles Hugh, adding him to this group. Like, he's killing people. Like, And then, I mean, Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw... People haven't caught on by now, obviously they know about Warner, but that's that's one of the best linebacker duos in the league as well. Like They're in the conversation for best linebacker duo in the league. I mean, Greenlaw is a beast. He's very good uh, in coverage and in the run game. And then you have Al Shayer as the third linebacker. He's been great. And All of them just want to kill people like every snap. And you add this this dude, Talanoa Hufonga, I hope I'm saying his name right. It seems like from what I looked up it was right. I mean, Hufanga is unbelievable. He's one of the best defensive players I've seen in the league this season. Strong safety, USC, fifth-round pick, I believe. I think he had injury concerns in college. I mean, he is around the ball constantly. It is crazy to watch him. I mean, he had six tackles the other day. He had a pick in week one. He's already broke up three passes, a bunch of tackles for loss. My notes on him from week one are just like blowing up a screen, blowing up a run. I mean, he was in the backfield constantly. Like, I, I mean, he legitimately looks like a Pro Bowl type of player. And that's through two weeks, and we'll see. And I haven't seen him in deep coverage very often. He's mostly around the box and the slot overhang guy, like that kind of stuff. And so there may be limitations to his role, and all those are valid. And, and we can cross that bridge when we come to it. But right now I'm just enjoying him for the player that he is. Um, He just looks like a huge difference maker for them, and they get Jimmy Ward back eventually. Traverius Ward looks like another. Again, I mentioned this with Marcus Williams. I think Traverius Ward is up there as well. One of the best free agent signings in the league through two weeks. Small sample size, I get it. Uh, Two weeks. Traverius Ward, unbelievable. He's been locked down as a corner. He's played great vertically on the ball. He picked off his first pass of the season the other day uh, or against uh, on the TJ Dallas throw. He's broken up a couple passes already. Coming up and hitting, Travarius Ward will play the run. Emmanuel Mosley will play the run. Huge to have corners like that. Um, he's coming up and hitting people a lot of scrimmage, playing really physical, been a huge part of the run defense. They're just a nasty group, man. If Kinlaw can keep this up the way that he's played, it raises the ceiling because you know Armstead's good. Nick is obviously incredible, one of the best defensive players in the league. Um, Warner, you know, you've got three elite players there if you consider Armstead elite. And I'd say he's on the fringes. But he's a very good player. Uh, and then I think two that are coming, Dre Greenline, if Kinlock can stay healthy, I think he's another one. And then Hufonga, whatever he – I mean, and Jimmy Ward's really good. And Ward – Travarius Ward looks like – I mean, it just – it could be a special group. A lot hinges on how Mosley plays and how healthy some of these guys have been injured, I think at Ken Law and some of these other guys in their career have been injured, Jimmy Ward uh, before, and so how how well are they all going to hold up physically? But right now, this looks like one of the best defenses in football. Um, I don't know how far that gets them uh, in the NFC in the regular season, probably probably just fine. Um, and who knows, maybe they win another playoff game. I don't know. But I don't think it's enough to get them to the top with Jimmy. But um, yeah, no doubt. They's, uh, this has been a, very fun defense to watch so far and then giants panthers not a ton of notes on this game either honestly like watched it um i think the panthers are pretty pathetic and i think they're probably going to be one of the worst teams in the league yet i don't say this to try to be like offensive but i mean you just can't baker mayfield looks below average the the offensive line has been maybe a little better in some spots than you'd expect but still certainly not great um they're just struggling to get the ball to people McCaffrey finally looked. i mean look you know back but you know, how long does that last with the injuries and stuff that he's had um, schematically i just think they're a little bit further behind in terms of how they get their playmakers the ball and some of those things then than we've seen other teams be and defensively there's all this potential in youth but like i gotta see it man like i think they've been fine defensively so far but you know you, again you talk about teams that are fine and teams that like legitimately go out and win games defensively like the 49ers and the box defense we're talking about uh, doing recently that's just not right now what's happening with with the panthers obviously 0 oh, and two start um and and they did they did a good job pretty good job defensively but again it's like they've been talked about oh the panthers are getting one of the best defense to league. They got all these guys okay one of these guys is gonna take the next step is Derek brown gonna be dominant player is jeremy Ching gonna be dominant player shaq thompson like are we gonna just keep talking about these guys like they could be this or like is this gonna happen you know and, and jc horn i'm not you know rushing him he hurt last year and there's a long way to go obviously but like how how one of these guys is going to become this this group that you gross you you, you tour gross Mattos, you you drafted him high. You know, when does that happen for him? You know, uh, CJ Henderson, you gave up a draft pick to, to bring him in, um, and and have him be a part of your own core. And these guys have been either bad or just not as good as you'd like them to be so far. And so, um, I mean, Jeremy Chen obviously is a, is a good player for sure, but you know, how good is he going to be ultimately? And JC Horn, a lot of hinges on that, so. I just don't know like if they have the lead you talk about culture in Detroit and, and the way that those guys have playing and even in Jacksonville what you've seen the differences there and like I don't see that when I watch Carolina like I know I've heard the word around the league like they're soft and like they' they're coach soft and um, that's the culture there and I don't see the same fire from their young guys talented as they' though, as though they may be that I see from some of these other teams and I just wonder if they need the reset button on the coaching staff before uh, that happens in Carolina. Giants seem to have some of that. I mean, they seem to have some of that ability to turn the corner. They're short on talent. You know, Barkley, you know, being better, looking better helps. And the offensive line is has some okay pieces. You know, but right now, I think it's just about you know can they continue to stack good things culturally? They're, they know that they're short on talent. Probably one of the least talented teams in the league to be two and zero. And even though, yeah, I know they've played, but to be two and zero and and to be one of the least talented teams. And league probably is is a really good thing, really good spot to be in, uh, I think for them. And you know they play the Cowboys with Cooper Rush uh, next week, and they play the Bears after that. They're probably better than the Bears. Bears are probably worst team in football. So I mean, it's not out of the question they can start three and one. I think it comes back down to Earth, Packers, Ravens, you know, some of these other teams. But I mean, there's a it's a pretty doable schedule from the Giants. So you you don't want to go too hard because then you work your way out of a good pick, but. This is a team that I think if with Dable because I think if so much of him is an offensive mind um, and just the culture change the, the belief that comes from a two and zero start for a team that struggled like they have, you know they could do more than you expect or more than maybe that they should um, this season. So uh, it's definitely some the biggest encouragement obviously being on the offensive line I think so far just that they've been able to be do enough uh, compared to where they've been in past seasons. That's obviously been a huge point of contention now is it great no there's still ways to go um but again just moving in the right direction i think for them is is a pretty big deal rams 31 falcons 27 man what a fun game just because uh matt stafford and cooper cup watching them for about three and a half quarters just like jaw dropping i was just like these guys are unbelievable like I don't even know what they do necessarily like cup comes off the ball and he just sees like they're in his own coverage. And so he just like finds the closest space and turns around and stops and just just throw him the ball. I don't think he just runs around. I think he just options everything. Like he just, that's what he does. Like I just watch him. There's no rhyme or reason. Like what he does He's just like, Oh, I'm just going to sit in this space, throw me the ball. I'm just sitting in this space, throw me the ball. And that's how they use him. And I think he's got one of the fastest catch to run transitions that I've ever seen. Like just, as soon as he catches the ball, he's taken off. It's like, okay, well, the, the guys have no shot, time to get a bead on him and, and hit him. Um, I mean, he had one play, he caught the ball, and literally the guy coming up behind him, and he literally spins before he even sees the guy. It's um, Michael Walker, I believe, the linebacker for the Falcons. He gets some spins inside before he even sees the guy, and he gets away from him. He's already off and running past him. It's just like, it's so hard to stop. It feels like he catches the ball like right off the snap, and then he gets 10 yards every time. And it's like, what the heck do you even do? Having said that, it would have been really nice for the Falcons to cover him at all. I mean, I think, how many catches did he have? I have to look how many catches he had. But he had, I think, half of his catches, nobody was even close to him. He had 11 catches for 108 yards. I bet five, six of his catches, nobody was within five, six, seven yards of him. Just completely blown cover. Nobody even close to him. This is Cooper Cup. (laughs) This guy got almost 2,000 yards last year. Like, What are you doing? I just don't understand why you can, like, how you can be that unprepared as a defense. Just pretty embarrassing, in my opinion. Um, they made it extremely easy for them. One hard throw I have to talk about. I wish I had tweeted this out. I didn't tweet this out yet. I haven't seen anybody tweet it out. I'm sure somebody has. They obviously, Matt Stafford and Cooper Cup corner routes is like one of the best wide receiver quarterback route combinations in football over the last two years. But they had a sick corner route throw. Stafford to Cup, AJ Terrell in coverage. He's all over the route. Like he breaks down at the top of the route with Cup. As soon as Cup breaks the route, he's right there. He's ready to defend the route. And Stafford just puts it like right over the sideline, right on Cup's fingertips. It's just indefensible. Like, but it's like 30 yards down the field. I mean, to make that throw with that kind of accuracy, just insane. Um, Definitely a game that eased any concerns I have about Stafford physically. Like, there's no doubt. Dude ripped like four or five just insane throws in this game, and then he also had two more turnovers. And um, I'm trying to remember the. I know the one interception was to right to Michael Walker. Oh, the other one was in the end zone. Higby down the down the right sideline under threw it, threw it too far inside. He's covered all the way. This is Higby. You're not like this. Isn't like Rob Gronkowski as much as I like Higby. You're not like it. Just was a bad decision. And it was a bad throw. And then. He throws right to my Cal Walker run back. I think the Falcons scored on that drive at uh, a short field. Just like, my gosh, man, like, what are you doing? Like, you're so good. Like, Matt Stafford is so freaking good. But you can't throw five picks through two weeks. Like, and especially the way he's throwing these picks, these are just not good plays from a guy who's supposed to be the veteran anchor of the team. And so I know he's done this some in the past, but it's, it's not like this all the time with him. And, to start the season this way is concerning. He's got to clean that up. But the high points were sick in this game. I mean, he made some unbelievable throws, and accuracy wasn't a major issue in my opinion, like it was the week before. So arrow pointing up um, for the offense, but the turnovers got to stop. I mean, three turnovers again. A cup obviously fumbling near the end there to give Atlanta the chance at this crazy comeback. And obviously the uh, Jalen Ramsey made a couple big plays in this game, had the pick at the end of the game, had dropped a pick six um, earlier in the game that probably would have really sent this thing out of control. Um, Had it going the other way, easy jump the route, just straight up dropped pick six. Um, The Rams defense is a, (laughs) before I get there, a couple more notes on their offense. Actually, I'm going to talk about the Rams defense in a second. Um, Joe Noteboom, he's a mess. He's an absolute mess. If you look like a mess against the Falcons, you're a mess. Like, they have no pass rushers, and you're getting killed. And, and that's no disrespect. I mean, D'Angelo Malone, Andrew Bikiti, some of these guys for the Falcons, we just got to see. But right now, they haven't shown much. Your are rookies. And, I mean, Joe Noteboom can't anchor against anybody. He's just getting knocked off balance, knocked back into the quarterback. He's been so bad through two weeks. I don't know how they survive a season with him at left tackle, so it's going to be, I don't think Whitworth comes back. But if they can't get something like that to happen, I don't know what they do at that spot yet. Like you can get away with subpar play, but they're, I don't think no, no boom is survivable against better teams. Fal- Falcons are one of the worst pass-first teams they'll face all season. And he was struggling. Um, the rest of the O-line wasn't really tested and the turnovers were still there. So I don't know if they're all free of concerns uh, because the O-line was the big question mark, and then the turnovers that kind of come from from that for Stafford, and both those things were kind of still shaky, even though that wasn't a big test for them in those ways in this game. So that still gives me concerns about the offense. The defense is is so interesting to me. I mean, they have maybe the best defensive player of all time in Aaron Donald. That's still at the peak of his powers. Um, Jalen Ramsey's one of the best corners in the league. I'm, I don't think he's as good as people think he is. I think he could be as good as people think he is, but he doesn't. I mean, you saw it week one. What else do I need to say? Um, when he wants to be, though, one of the elite, another elite players defenders in the league, and then it's really like a bunch of guys. Like, who is the third best player on the Rams defense? Is, I mean, is it still Bobby Wagner? Like, is he's solid, but like nobody really wanted him this offseason. Like, you know, he's not what he used to be for sure. I mean, he's a solid player, but they really—it's I mean, a bunch of decent players. I think Troy Hills just went on IR and. Um, uh, you know nobody else is even close to an all-pro like Pro Bowl level talent. I mean, maybe Wagner gets there just off reputation. Who knows with the Pro Bowl? But like nobody on this defense that plays at that level or has the ability to even play at that level. A bunch of solid guys: Terrell Lewis, solid all-around player like Leonard Floyd. Some of these guys, like you know, they're fine players, like good players. You know, Greg Gaines and um, but there's there's not really Jordan Fuller, but there's not really a difference maker. The rest of the group. And I just don't know how far two players can get you defensively. I mean, Donald is so good, and Ramsey's really good when he wants to be. Um, and I just I wonder how far that can get you year after year after year. Because they it, you know, you go back a couple of years and Staley's last year there running the defense. They had like really good players. So like John Johnson's a really good player. Like he was a difference maker, and uh, Darius Williams was a what do you have, ton of ton of picks that year, really good player. Um and Last year, I thought it was a question. They just didn't have as many really good players and a good scheme. But you know, I think Ray Moore's a good defense coordinator. But and this year, more of a question without Von Miller. Like, um, there's just not really anybody else other than Donald and Ramsey that's gonna step up like that way. So I just wonder. I just have a lot of questions about the Rams still more than I thought I would two weeks into the season. But the NFC just looks so weak. I don't know. I don't know if it'll matter. Um the Falcons. So pretty much like the Texans to me, um, they're kind of looking for 2023 and beyond cornerstones. You know, how many do they have on defense? So they're kind of similar to me, like those two teams, just not really about this year. Like, I don't think they're going to be very good this year, but how many cornerstone pieces do they have especially because both teams right now I think are further behind than some of these other teams like the Lions. And in terms of like long-term, what you're building toward, toward, you can point out cornerstones and Lions on defense and on offense that are clear-cut top guys that they hope will be top-end guys for them. And you can't really do that with the Falcons. Like defensively, A.J. Terrell obviously is a guy that they – he had a a rough game in this one, I think, a a couple rough moments in this game. But overall been really good since they drafted him. But, like, I don't know who else. I mean, Grady Jarrett, but he's he's a little bit older now. He, I mean, D'Angelo Malone, Andrew Kite, you hope? Mikel Walker, good coverage linebacker. Can he be a good all-around linebacker? Is he always going to be a liability against the run? Um, really good coverage player, by the way. Made a couple sick plays in this game, had the pick, and just a really, really rangy, a really nice player to have on your team for sure. But, like, is he going to be your top linebacker even, like three-down linebacker? I don't know. I don't know if he's that guy. Um, so just like a lot of pieces for the Falcons, right? Like I think the one hopeful thing is the offensive line's played better so far this year. And they've invested so many picks into it that that really had to happen. Because they don't want to be spending more picks in the offensive line while these other positions suffer. Um, so they really need like Drew Dahlman. Chris Lindstrom looks like one of the best guards in football. And we need to start talking about him like that um, at right guard. Drew Dahlman and some of these other guys they need to like step up and be these the dudes that they drafted to be um, along that offensive line, and it, it's been better, I think, through through uh, two weeks. I think it's been better than I would have expected because that was to me, I thought they were pretty bad in that way last year. So, yeah, to see you know some of these guys playing better football, I think obviously you know you're getting good football from Jake Matthews but I think you know there's still like there's still questions too like Caleb McGarry I don't think is the right answer or right tackle still and I don't think Drew Dahlman's the answer at center necessarily yet I'm not convinced he isn't but he hasn't looked like that to me yet so like are these guys going to continue to play that way it's going to be concern all season I think those are questions that you have um, with those two spots especially and then obviously at left guard I think there's I don't know if Elijah Wilkins is going to be that guy all season or if they're going to get healthier at that spot, play some younger guys there. But um, they've got to get better play from those, those guys this season. And I think the first two weeks have been mildly encouraging, but I haven't seen enough that like I'm trusting that either yet. So uh, those are the, that's what the big question marks are for Atlanta moving forward. And the other thing is Drake London. They, again, another guy they need offensively some of these guys to really hit because they've got to start spending some draft picks like crazy on the defensive side of the ball because um, they just don't have enough talent there right now. But Drake London, um, lots of praise for him. I think he had eight catches for 86 yards. And I think the thing with London that I keep coming back to is, right now, this is kind of exactly what I expect from him in the NFL. Right now he knows how to play the game, and that's helping him a lot make these quick transition quick impact um a lot of targets on bubbles and he's he's tough after the catch he's not really athletic but he's just kind of like has a good feel and well, he's ever going to be super dynamic but he's enough to like be a be a factor you can get him some manufactured touches right now that's how most of his catches are coming um they've schemed him open versus man they schemed him open on the goal line for touchdown versus man on a rub concept um they sit him down and he does a good job sitting out in zones he knows how to flash in the middle of the field and Um, pull the ball in, doesn't mind getting hit. Um, But there's just – the athleticism is an issue to me Like still. Like when I watch him, is he ever going to make big plays down the field? We haven't even seen contested catches yet. That was just kind of bread and butter in college. Um, Is he ever going to be a great separator from man coverage by himself? How does he get off press? We still haven't seen a lot of that yet. So still a lot of questions with him. But like everything you thought he'd be good at right away, he is good at. So at least that's encouraging that he's made that – he's like a very – polished dude he's made some of that connection already in the NFL he's been able to translate that pretty easily which I think is is big for him so uh yeah Chris Lindstrom uh and Drake London probably two of them were encouraging players coming out of that game and and really so far the season for the Falcons so interesting stuff both teams I'm talking mostly about player evaluation and kind of outlook moving forward rather than the specific game um but yeah Falcons did a lot of pluckiness to kind of stay in it and almost come back in that one um at this point you know how the games went. So I'm more of talking about evaluation stuff rather than recapping you uh, through some of these games. Broncos 16, Texans 9. This one was in Denver and I just I don't know. It's 2 weeks, but it's a continuation of what we've seen for a lot of, you know, last 2 seasons, not 2 full seasons, but Russell Wilson just struggling like crazy. Um Missing reads, failing to use the middle of the field, holding the ball too long. I think protection's been well. Um, they're running it pretty well. They've uh, got good enough play from the weapons so far. Corton Sutton looks back to normal. Last year I thought he was still finding his way there. Um, I think Russ just has to be better, straight up. I think he just has to be better. Um, he, you know, 0 for 6 in the red zone the Broncos are right now. That's mostly on Russ. Um they'll get better in that way, but they struggle to move the football at times. And um I just I wonder what Russ has left in terms of teams feeling like they've figured him out a little bit and he really just can't evolve like right now, it feels like. Um kind of like Russell Westbrook in the NBA, <laughs> not the same personality and everything, but like <clears throat> been so good in the past, despite this obvious limitation, right? Russell Wilson can't throw in the middle of the field. Yet has overcome this by playing out of structure and making all these vertical plays, and being so good at the outside of the field. and these high degree difficulty areas to throw. And it's like Russell Westbrook has never been able to really shoot that well, but yet he's been so good because of the athleticism and the ability to attack the basket and things like that in the NBA. And now both are finding out like they're kind of like they have no new tricks, right? They have to adapt their games to match the way that the league has changed and the way factors around them has changed and circumstances around them have changed. And neither guy really can do it. And it's just, it's the rust factor, I think. Like, both guys are really struggling with that, and now I have more hope for Russell Wilson than Russell Westbrook. To me, he's, Westbrook is pretty cooked, not to, uh, people who don't follow the NBA are going to be lost right now, maybe, but um, Russell Wilson, to me, is, I have more hope for him, but I, I still have major questions. I picked the Broncos to finish fourth in the AFC West before the season started, and I, I have questions about them. It's not like they're perfect in other areas either. I mean, defensively, they've been good. You know, they haven't really even been tested so far. They played Geno Smith and Davis Mills. Like, that's not going to test you. And I think they've been fine. But I think there's not like, they've been unbelievable or anything. And, um, you know, who, who are the difference makers defensively? You hope Gregory's one of those guys. You hope Sertain's one of those guys. And obviously Justin Simmons, when he gets back, is one of those guys. Um, but... There's still a lot of questions, a lot of other places. Linebackers are questions. I think D-line's questions. Draymond Jones' a good pass rusher, but um, yeah, I just think in general, you're gonna have a lot of a defense that I'm just gonna be watching to see like how many guys step up and play to their potential. I don't mean to ignore Bradley Chubb. He's a good player, but I don't think he's a dominant difference-making type of player. I don't think he's as good a player as Randy Gregory could be at his peak. Um, so yeah, lots of I just want to see. I I somebody said why the Broncos solo, they made all these changes. I was like, I just want to see it. Like, everybody's talking about how Sertain's going to be that guy and Bradley Chubb's going to be that guy and we've never seen them be that guy like we've never seen that happen we've never seen this offensive line play to their potential is Lloyd Cushenberry going to be that guy you know um is Dalton Reisner going to be that guy and uh uh the dude who smashed his heads that plays the other guard spot his name is totally slipping my mind r- right now but um you know are those guys going to be those types of players. Judy's supposed to be this beast, but he but he's not been yet. And he's not and he struggled to stay healthy. KJ Hamler's supposed to be different, but he hasn't. he and he's struggled to stay healthy. Um, you know, I just have uh, and obviously then the Russell Wilson stuff I talked about. To me, it's just too much like in a division that good, like that's why I picked him fourth. And I still feel like they'll they'll finish fourth. So we'll see. Um Texans season, mentioned it when I talked about the Falcons. It's all about finding um, anyone on offense who keep, uh, you put keeping the plans for 2023, right? I mean, defensively, you're a try-hard team. I think they've got some pieces over there, but um, and, they, and they've drafted some guys on that side of the ball. Um, you want to know if Davis Mills is your guy. I think right now he's been average at best, but you're going to have all season to play him. You'll have a very clear picture. If he's bad, you'll be bad, and they'll probably be bad, and you'll probably pick high. Um, so no real concern there. Um, then you talk about who else on this offense is a long-term piece. Obviously Tunsell. And then I don't know. I mean, nobody else in the offensive line has been consistent over the years that they've been here. Titus Howard, off to a decent start this season at right tackle, maybe. But Brandon Cooks, I mean, you gotta think it's only a matter of time. I forget his contract length, but he's not a long-term piece for this team. So I'm um, Nico Collins, and Damian Pierce, those are probably the two guys, right? That are on this team right now that you're like. That's probably wide receiver they want to be in their top three, and that's probably their feature running back that they want. So to me, when the Texans have the ball this season, it's all about Mills and Collins and Pierce. Like those are the guys to watch um, for this team. Move And Kenyon Green. and Kenyon Green, who's been up and down so far. I think I, I I need to watch him more closely, but I've seen enough to to know that we'll just see. He he's he's always gonna be a project with Kenyon Green, but they drafted a guard high high, um, and that's. You want, that, you want them to hit the ground running, and I, I don't think that's been the case quite so far, but we're two weeks in. I'm not I'm not worried about that. Um, oh, one more bone about the Broncos' defense. Haven't been tested yet. 49ers next week, not going to be a huge test for them. Las Vegas, Indianapolis, we'll see. But then the Chargers, the Jets, Jacksonville, it's not going to be the roughest road for them. They should be a top defense at midseason. I mean, a couple of little challenges in there, but... Not a lot of formidable offenses for them in the top half of their schedule. So we might not learn a lot about the Broncos' defense until later on in the season. And they'll probably be healthier at that point in time, too. So uh, we'll learn a lot then, too. Most of you saw Cardinals-Raiders, so I won't go, I think. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that was a national game, if I'm remembering right. Maybe I'm not. But at least I know you saw the end of it because I think the other games wrapped up earlier and they showed a lot of that nationally. But, um, I, I mean, Kyler Murray continues to be like this huge roller coaster to me. I think he's great at times. I think he looks terrible at other times. Um, and when he catches fire, though, it's just its so hard to stop him. I mean, I said this before he came out, and I still think it's just so true about him. He can have a bad process on a play as a passer from a quarterback perspective. He can miss the read. He can miss the open guy, all this stuff. And because he's so dynamic with the way he moves, he can still get a good result. And that is a gift in and of itself. To have bad process and get good results more consistently than other quarterbacks in the NFL by far is a gift. Can you overcome the bad process all the time? No, probably not. Not against better teams. Um, and that's why he's not in my top 10 quarterbacks in the league. But it's riveting to watch. <laughs> it's, it's riveting to watch a guy that can hold the ball for 25 seconds and still score. Like That's insane. That is something that just maybe he and Lamar can do, and that's it. So fun to watch. I don't know how sustainable it is, but regular season quarterbacking, Kyle Murray, Kyle Murray is definitely one of the most enjoyable watches in the league, I think. No question there. Um, and the other pieces are, are fine so far, but you know you do wonder just Hopkins getting back and what that's going to do to this team. Marquise Brown has been okay, I think, so far. Um, he's made some plays for sure. Um, Ertz is a volume guy. Cliff is what he is, you know. They come back and win this game. It probably them saving them from an 0-2 start is big, but isn't enough. You know, defensively, I still don't think this is a very good team, but they still they have enough pieces where they could probably be a, a middle of the league unit um, with Buda Baker and some of these guys. You know, Isaiah Simmons and taking a step a little bit, it looks like, and um, Byron Murphy. They have some some decent players. JJ Watt's back. Um, I think that this is a team that can be all of that level good maybe um but they need the offense to be like a top 10 unit i think or maybe even better for this team to be kind of where it's supposed to go this season win the west with the rams gonna have some questions can they win the west um can they be a real fact from the playoffs that's really what we're waiting for we've seen the cardinals be a good regular season team i think by the end of the year they need to be like a top eight offense maybe um Seven offense and be like a top 15 defense. And I think that they'd be okay in that spot. And so um, for the Raiders, 0 2 start. Um, I mean, it's terrible, right? I mean, they just two games that, I mean, honestly, that they they probably could have won. Now they play the Titans, who are also 0 2 uh, the next week. And then the Broncos, the Chiefs. Um, Titans are going to be scrapping for a win. Broncos will be scrapping for a win. Um, you know, the the Chiefs are better than them just straight up. I it could be a tough start here. I mean, you kinda gotta win next week. You just kinda do. You kinda have to beat the Titans next week. Um so Carr played better than he did the week before. Um I think Devontae Adams, they're they look like they were off to a fast start last week and then they struggled to get him the ball this week. I think they gotta continue to be creative with how they move him around and get him the ball uh because Seven targets, two catches, 12 yards, not enough. I think they continue to prioritize him. Give him some of these manufactured touches that you're giving Hunter Renfro. And not that Renfro isn't good. I know he had two fumbles there at the end, and that was very disappointing, obviously. But I think you got to give Devontae Adams some of those manufactured touches and get him in some of those motions and get him the ball those ways, too. You know he can make the plays down the field, um, but Carr has been inconsistent in that way with receivers in the past. So, can you find other ways to get Adams to football as well, I think is going to be the real challenge for uh, for Las Vegas moving forward. Um, they're a solid football team, but there's too many issues with them on the offensive line. And although they have a good pass rush group, I think also defensively, like in terms of the run, I, I'm, I'm very questionable about how they can stop that, which isn't the end of the world if they have this great secondary, but they don't. Um, I just can't see them. I mean, they're going to be, Again, I can't see them really in the playoff picture right now. 0 and 2 start, obviously. There's not a lot of teams that start that way um, They make it to the playoffs. So Las Vegas uh, moving forward, like it's mentioned, a couple of teams coming up for them. It's going to be very tough for them to avoid like a 1 and 4 start, I think, and that makes it really challenging, especially in that division, um, to kind of climb back into this thing. So, yeah, uh, I, I think that they're defensively they're starting to see some. I mean, guys like. Nate Hobbs has played well, and Jonathan Abrams played well, and Terrence Ron Harmon made a couple sick plays the other day. Taylor Jones certainly looks the part. Max Crosby obviously have two good edge rushers. They could win you a game or two uh, with the difference that they make, but there's enough questions here that I still have some pause about how that's going to play out for them. Cowboys 20, Bengals 17. Bengals could be 2-0, so don't panic yet. They've lost both these games in very close game situations. Um, but they have serious serious issues too. I mean, perfect storm and pass protection right now. Sometimes it's the O-line. Sometimes it's the tight end. Sometimes it's the running backs. Burroughs held the ball too long. Um, The concepts are too long developing at times. More easy, quick game is probably needed. Um, There's just a lot of everything. It's not one thing, in my opinion. Um, It certainly doesn't help that Layout Collins has been pretty bad, especially this past week he was bad. He was okay against Watt, I guess, at times. They gave him a ton of help in that in and of itself, limits your offense a little bit. Uh, but he's given up one sack, five pressures. And Jonah Williams has been terrible. Three sacks, ten pressures. Highsmith wrecked him. He was wrecked in this game um, as well uh, by Dallas. I mean, obviously, Micah Parsons is tough, but uh, and some of these other guys are tough, but not a good showing for either of them so far. Those are your two tackles, and you know, you've invested a lot in those guys. First-round pick in Williams and big contract for Collins. <clears throat> now that is uh, not helping you, uh, basically, at this point in time. And I think the interior has been fine I don't I don't have big issues there. people are ripping Alex Kappa I think he's played fine I mean he, yeah he gave up a sack the other day but I mean I don't overall like he hasn't been a big part of the problem in my opinion um so I think the Bengals st- are going to play better Collins is going to play better John Williams going to play better they both played better throughout their career I don't think this is who they are um some growing pains they're going to settle in I think Jamar Chase is too good Burrow's too good Boyd's too good Higgins is too good mix in they're, they'll figure it out too much talent on offense defense I mean it, it, in the secondary like it's just the one thing that I would say about the Bengals is that I think they're going to be good I just I wonder if they're like the Atlanta Hawks and the NBA here I go with my NBA crossover comparisons again I wonder if they're like the Atlanta Hawks in the NBA where they're good but not as good as they looked in the postseason where a couple of years ago the Hawks had that postseason run and almost won the um, the East Championship and uh, lost to the Bucks, and up Bucks end up winning it at all, obviously. But I wonder if the hot if they're like that kind of where like they they made the jump earlier than people thought. Like the Bengals were good last year for sure. And they played their best football at the right time, which is great. All credit to them. But like the Chiefs and the Bills were better teams and the Chiefs just didn't beat them when they played. Like that happens. They have opportunities one game, and sometimes the better team doesn't win. Like that's part of the game, and I love that part of the game. And all you know, hats off to the Bengals for getting it done. I love watching them last year. I was a huge fan of them. Um love cheering for them and everything. Like they're great. Um It was awesome to make make that run. But from an objective standpoint, if they play the Chiefs 10 times, I think the Chiefs win 9. Like, I just do. And they didn't that time. And that obviously is awesome. That's what the game's about from a fan perspective. But if we're just pulling back and looking from a bias perspective, I just think they were the third best team at best in the AFC last year. They made it to the Super Bowl. And I wonder if that's, like, okay, an aberration a little bit. Where, like, they might be good this year, but, like, they're just not going to be on the tier of the top teams in the AFC, which... Because they almost won the Super Bowl last year, it makes it seem like they should be. Um, and they're better on paper. Like, they're clearly better on paper on the offensive line than they were a year ago. I mean, they added Ted Karras, they added Alex Kappa, and they added Leal Collins. Like, those guys are clearly better players than the guys that were there before them. There's no question. And so, and you added defensively, what? Um, who they had defensively? Uh, I mean, some of the talent that they've brought onto this team. Over over the past, you know, even this past offseason, they don't like they sat on their hands, right? They have continued to go out and 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 add guys a little bit. And uh, I'm trying to think they brought back BJ Hill, right? I was thinking of somebody the other day. I don't remember who I was thinking of. They get Joseph Asai back, who had a fast start to, to last year. Uh, but you know, they went out and they actually like did some things. And yet here they are, and there's questions at offensive tackle, there's questions at cornerback, where Eli Apple's still struggling and and they don't have an elite pass rush. So, yeah, those things usually mean trouble. Those things usually put a lid on you. When you have questions at offensive tackle, questions at corner, and you don't have an elite pass rush, it usually means that you're going to be in trouble at some point against the best of the best. And so they might have peaked a little bit too early in people's minds, but it doesn't mean they can't continue to build on this. They have tons of really good young players. Um, could be a midseason trade team. All that stuff's possible. Um, two thing, Last two things in this game. Jamar Chase versus Trevon Diggs didn't really happen. I know some people put some, oh, Chase only had two catches against Diggs. Well, they didn't really cover, like, Diggs didn't really cover him that much. Chase moved around like crazy, and Diggs didn't really shadow him, and, like, it wasn't, it just wasn't like those two head-to-head. I mean, Diggs had more targets, I think, with uh, Higgins on him or something. You know, he wasn't, you know, Diggs didn't have, like, the best game or anything like that. Uh, you know, he has a couple good plays like he does every game. Uh, made the good, the big tackle to force the Bengals to punt and allow the Cowboys to get good field position, uh, which is credit to him because every team's been trying to make him prove he can tackle so far this season. And he hasn't really responded until that play. So uh, he needs to continue to do that if he wants to be a complete corner in the NFL. Um, so didn't really see those two up. Chase did have a crazy strong catch on a slant versus Diggs to convert a fourth down. That was a, that play was not, I mean, his cat Diggs was right in there. It was great coverage. And Chase like, um, somehow made the catchers nuts but uh, not as not as much one to one as you as I would have liked to see probably which, which is probably smart by both teams oh two more notes actually DJ Reader dude is a monster he and and uh, Grover Stewart both in the top nose tackle tier to me like they're just monsters Reader's an even better pass rusher probably than, than Stewart um, and then Micah Parsons <clears throat> I'm ready to talk about whether he's a tier one edge defender and we can talk about this more later in the week probably but I really think he might be, just based on his pass rush ability. DJ Watt, Miles Garrett, the Bosa's, probably Vaughn. This Vaughn looking like he's back to peak Vaughn. Um, I'm ready to talk about it. I think he's that good. To have the athleticism and the physicality that he has, plus the moves he's added in one offseason. I mean, he's won inside, outside, and through guys, through two weeks, consistently. It's scary. This guy, I mean, I'm telling you, it's out of the question to say he's the best. He's going to be the best defensive player in the league at some point. Yeah, He's really, really good. And it's way better that they put him on the edge and not a linebacker as much because honestly, it was slept on last year. He was not a great off-ball linebacker. I mean, he made great athletic plays, but he wasn't a great processor, all that kind of stuff at linebacker. It's much better to watch him on the edge full time than last year where I was like, eh, he's good, but he, if he's doing this hybrid role, some of his snaps aren't going to be as good when he's playing off-ball, but Watching him now, it's like, okay, now this guy's just like a a true monster on the edge. Uh, Packers-Bears, th- stop putting this matchup in primetime. This is so obnoxious to me. We don't care about Bears and Packers. I know the ratings are good, but like the Bears are horrible. I mean, they might win another game this season. They got so lucky to win that Niners game. And the Packers-O-line is still a concern in pass protection, but... That was the only silver lining for the Bears in this game, really, was the pass rush. T- Travis Gibson seems like he's blossoming for the Bears. Um, two sacks in this game. He and Quinn are going to be a fun duo. But I just, I mean, they're just not good at all. And they never win this matchup. It's just was not compelling. It's just, I mean, it Fields threw the ball 11 times. like. This is kind of what I'm getting at with Wentz and somebody's like, at least you're finding out. At least the Texans are finding out what Davis Mills is capable of. You're not going to learn anything It feels sort throwing 11 times in a game which you're losing by double digits the whole game. It's a waste of everybody's time. I don't think Justin Fields has played good, played well. I think he looked terrible. I mean, he's in the monsoon, but terrible against the 49ers. And this game was, like, fine. I mean, he threw the ball 11 times, completed seven. I don't know what we were supposed to take away from this. He holds the ball too long still. He misses guys that are open, but how's he gonna get better if he's playing throwing eleven times? It's just silly. You're still trying to pound the rock and they you know they ran for one eighty and six point seven yards per carry and they got killed because rushing doesn't matter like that. just doesn't if you can't throw the ball and you don't threaten teams through the air, then like you just don't have it, and you're never gonna find that out unless you left Fields rip it and he's barely thrown the ball through two weeks. I just then don't play him. If you think it's that bad, then play somebody else. But you're never going to find out what he's capable of unless you let him throw. And I know it might not be good, but neither is the rest of your team. So just throw the ball and find out. Packers O-line, still a concern in pass protection. They just not look right. Um, Rodgers holds the ball too long. I, I just, he just he doesn't quite look like himself. He did make more plays that look like himself in this game. He always seems to get his mojo back against the Bears to a degree. And so maybe that... You know, he plays the Bucks. We'll find out a lot this upcoming week. He struggled against them a little bit at times. I know the receivers are a concern right now. Um, but I just, I'm so curious what happens with the Packers this year. Like, I don't think the North is very good. But the Lions will be better and the Vikings will be pesky. And I know they beat them the week before. Um, and so how good are the, like, I still think the Packers are going to have a really good regular season how good are they come playoff time and how could they possibly be better? I just don't... I can't see any way that they could be better. Like, they're just not better in any way than they were the last couple of years. Like, I... I mean, Rogers basically has to be even better and he was the MVP last year. So, I... He, better in the playoffs is fair, though. I mean, he could... Maybe he could play better in the playoffs. I just don't see a path for them to be better than they've been in years past. So, maybe the rest of the NFC is that bad by the point the time comes and that's the path for them. Um but I don't see any way that they're better than they've been when they've had some of these other guys that they've had. So Smith and Devontae Adams and um, a fully healthy back Diary in the past. Um, so we'll see, but they ran the ball like crazy and Aaron Jones, I love his pacing as a runner. He just rarely gets ahead himself. He sets up blocks. Well, he anticipates defenders coming at him. He's a very technical runner. He's not this unreal athlete or anything like that. He just, A very complete technical player. Um, uh, Fun to watch, for sure. Fun to watch. What games haven't I got to? This podcast has gone on for a while. Hopefully you are still enjoying and listening. Um, But uh, Monday night, uh, watch both these games live. And you all watch these games live, too. These games that are on national TV, I'll probably spend actually less time on unless there's some big takeaway I have that's anti the narrative. Um, I'll just say on the Titans, I don't think they're going to be very good this year. I didn't really think that going into the year they were going to be that good. They shouldn't have lost in week one, obviously. But this game, they're not in the same class as the Bills. It was obvious. Um, Derrick Henry is off to a slow start. Tannehill has been kind of continued to be exposed. Malik Wills is not ready. I truly don't believe he's ready. I know people were excited about like, two throws in the preseason. He was pretty bad. Like, if we're just calling it like it is, he was pretty bad in preseason. And so <clears throat> what's this team have to hang their hat on moving forward? You know, they have to beef up the passing attack. I think it has to get better. Um, and it has to be Tannehill if you want to compete. Once you're out of it, sure, if you want to play wells, that's fine. He's not gonna get you promised land this year or anything like that. I mean, the South is terrible, but um, I don't I don't think that's in the cards for for the Titans. and the defense has to be way better. that That's the unit that is no excuse. I mean, you have Bayard and Hooker and some of these guys are paying big contracts too. and Simmons is there. Farley was a first round pick. Like when are you gonna get what you got? I mean, McCreary's a high pick. When are you gonna get what you drafted out of these guys? Like your secondary's out there getting shredded. And you're not getting what you drafted for from these guys. Bud Dupree's hurt again. Um, you paid him a lot of money. Harold Landry's hurt. Now he's out. And so, like, you just... It just... They they have not looked anywhere close. Like, D- Danico Autry's another guy. You know, like, these are... Like, this was supposed to be a group that was, like, dominant pass rush for the front four. Move guys around and be flexible. Um, and right, it just doesn't look like that's in the cards for them right now. And then their secondary's playing like crap. So... Just a long way to go for the Titans. Um thought last year they just way over their head. To be a one seed in the AFC with as many issues they had, lost in the first round of the playoffs. I just thought maybe we'd seen them peak, and it seems that way so far. And again, 0-2. We know what that means. It's very hard to get in the playoffs. Raiders next. I mentioned that earlier. Then Colts, then Commanders, then Colts, Texans. So I mean, very possible to write this ship before Chiefs, Broncos, Packers, Bengals, Eagles. (laughs) <laughs> that's five T's in a row for real. They still have the Chargers in there and the Cowboys and Dak will be back. Um, you just can't win. You can't lose next week to the Raiders probably. or you're done. Um, it's hard to see them making it if they, if they lose that game. So we'll see. Bills, best team of football, man. Not even close. Not even remotely close. Nobody else is in. Like the Bills are in the first tier. Nobody's in the second tier. Chiefs are in the third tier. Nobody's like then, then everybody else in the fourth tier, probably, but not even close so far. I can't can't see anybody in the NFC giving the bills. It's two, it's week two, it's week two through two weeks. Can't envision it. The uh, Eagles, Vikings, uh, Jalen Hurts continues to ascend and evolve. Um, I, I, I'm not gonna declare anything through two weeks into the season, I just am stunned by a guy that was as bad as he was in college and then just kept getting better throughout college kept getting better made it to the nfl and kept getting better and kept getting better i mean eventually you just start to believe like there might not be a ceiling on this guy because physically we knew that he had all the tools but it was just he was just so bad accuracy decision making pocket awareness pocket movement it was all so bad in college at times um and now to see how far he's come is just this really fun story and he's one of the best people in the league and I just, I really root for him. I, I, I hope that he can continue this ascent because he just looks so good the other night and running the ball and throwing the ball and he can throw. He's testing the middle of the field more and that's huge. Um, dynamic with the ball in his hands. Um, yeah, I, I just think he's a really exciting player. Um, and the league needs, frankly, the league just needs it. They need more of these types of quarterbacks, types of these players. Um, and so. He's got the receivers, there's no question, Goddard, Devontae Smith, AJ Brown. Like he's got the weapons. Miles Sanders, you know, good, good enough in the backfield, I think. Um, and the other key thing for him is he, I think he does have to have an offensive line that's good. And I think he has that. And I think if that weren't there, we may have not have seen the type of growth we've seen from him. And let that be a reminder to all of you who evaluate Justin Fields and Trey Lance and some of these guys. Like they have not had that offensive line. Obviously, Lance has barely played. Um, and nor have has somebody like Phil's had a lot of other things. And so they have not had the chance to work through growing pains without getting the snot kicked out of them. And that is just huge. The fact that Hurts has consistently had that because Philly's had such a good offensive line and such good backups and depth on the offensive line, and guys have gotten hurt. And um, it's just that they've allowed him to grow. And the Bills, same thing You all what they did with Josh Allen. They prioritized the line. They flooded it with people every year. Depth. So when guys get hurt, they just keep Allen upright. Keep him upright. Protect him well enough. Let him grow. Let him develop. Don't let him get beat to heck before you know, it's time for him to blossom. And that's allowed Hurts to grow, and it's allowed Allen to grow. And most great quarterbacks in the league that are raw coming into the NFL have needed to grow that way. And if they don't have those things, he usually goes pretty poorly. Um, so... Encouraging stuff for them. Minnesota, I'm just not. I'm never going to get excited about Minnesota when Kirk Cousins is there. You can beat the Packers 23-7. That's sweet. But I'm just not going to get excited about you. I'm sorry. Like Even if you somehow won that division, awesome. But you're not going to do anything in the playoffs. Like He is what he is. He puts a lid on your team. As long as he's there, the lid will be there. He's not horrible. He's also not good enough. And you know this. You've seen it year after year after year is probably one of the quarterbacks we have the most overwhelming sample size of this evidence with. And so eventually you're going to have to figure out who that guy is. And hopefully you do it before Justin Jefferson gets too pissed off. That should be the key. <laughs> in other words, uh, another news, though, uh, Danelle Hunter, I think, on his way back, still trying to get back into form. I was I kind of reminded of him in this game. I was just like, man, this guy was in like an unreal pace. He's probably one of the youngest players to come in the league. Just an unreal sack pace. Could really challenge Bruce Smith type of numbers. And then obviously the injuries started piling up and he hasn't been quite the same player since running into some of that stuff. And I just wonder, can he get back to that tier two edge group? Can he push for tier one where it looked like he was headed before the injuries? Um, And gonna be one of those players that I really wanna enjoy watching this season and hope that he can stay healthy because I think he's probably one of the most exciting players in the league when he's fully healthy and able to be himself and play his game. And it's just been easy to forget about him uh, in recent years. So that and the other takeaway, which you saw if you saw this game, Darius Slay, my gosh. I know he's not the most consistent corner in the league year to year, week to week. But when he is on and when he feels like he's got the game like mapped out in his head, how it's going to go. He's a very cerebral player. Darius Slay is so good, man skills plus coverage ability and play in multiple schemes the way that he has and he's just a fun he's just a fun personality he's one of the league's best personalities and uh, real good guys and yeah I just think he's a blast to watch and help shut down Jefferson Jefferson two picks just consistently in good position breaking up passes and uh, knew everything was getting thrown at him just you could tell when he plays with that kind of energy too it just it's really enjoyable to watch he's One of the few game changers at corner when he's on like that, I think. And uh, he looks like he's ready to have a peak season. He's got Bradbury with him. He's got Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. They just made a lot of changes and way better talent defensively than they've had. And it's really good defense. And I think the offense is going to have their pains at times. But too much talent to be bad. They should win that division easily. And we'll see what the ceiling is. People saying they're the best team in the NFC. I'm not ready to go there just yet. But. Certainly on their way. Uh, definitely some good things uh, in store for the Eagles. All right, this is a long pod, probably longer than some of the pods will be moving forward. But a free one. I want everybody, every fan base, to get a taste of what this is kind of be like moving forward. The Audibles and Analytics Podcast, Football Plus the Numbers. Again, I'll come back later in the week. Probably do a state of where things are at, and one of the conferences, and then flip switch conferences the next week. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll keep moving forward and keep plugging away on this thing. Appreciate everybody who's subscribed and supporting the show and everything that you're doing to help promote it and let other people know about it. It means a lot. Y'all are truly going to be the lifeblood of this thing. If it takes off and thrives, uh, it'll be because of y'all. And, uh, I can't thank you enough for continuing to support it and continue to love, uh, everything that I'm trying to produce and trying to do here until next time. Thanks so much for listening everybody to the audibles and analytics podcast. Peace.